this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick, quick. And welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I'm one of your hosts, Nathan Bartleball, and I am joined tonight by almost all of our co-hosts. Uh, we have Trey Whetstone. Trey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Nathan. And we also have Victor Rodriguez. Victor, how are you? Hello, sir. Doing good. Good to be back. Yes, back. We are back. And we also have with us Matt, Pastor Matt Rawlings. Matt, how are you doing? Well, as I told you before we started recording, I just uh, finished watching Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and unfortunately, I quit drinking, and there's no liquor in the house, so that's how I'm doing. <laughs> oh, bother. Oh, bother. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, let's not get on a tangent. Let's not go down that poo hole. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we're back. It's October. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, this is one of two new episodes that just dropped, and uh, we we did have a little bit of a hiatus there. We're getting our ducks in a row, or whatever horror movie podcast gets in a row, tombstones. Uh, and we are we've got a, a whole slate of things coming out for October. Uh, knock on wood, but I think that we've got episodes that'll be releasing every week, and we'll have a couple of them every week because we're trying to get out specific sort of. Uh, Halloween related, uh, spooky season related stuff, which we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, what we've got for you this show is we've got a uh, fall preview that covers everything from October into up through December. So uh, some of the movies that you'll hear us talking about, we're about to review now. <laughs> so you might hear us talking about how we were excited to see them. You're going to hear the reviews for those now. I've got a couple of uh, individual reviews that I'll provide for some movies that I've seen. But before we do that, we got a cool opportunity to see a movie that I've been very curious about for a few years because it seems like every year for about the past two years, there's been a buildup to it being released and then it drops off of the radar. And that is uh, Dark Harvest, David Slade's new movie. David Slade, who, of course, did movies like Hard Candy and uh, 30 Days of Night. We won't talk about that Twilight movie that he directed, hmm. but... We got a chance to, we were sent a screener, I want to say up front, to review the film. And Victor, myself, and Trey will be reviewing that shortly. Uh, it is going to release, I believe, at the end of uh, this week. So I think it drops on uh, Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it'll be streaming. So you'll be able to see it through streaming. I don't think it's in theaters. I don't know if it's playing maybe in limited release. But it's going to be primarily uh, digital uh, to rent. So we'll talk all about that, uh, but before that, we did all get to see a movie that is currently streaming on Prime, a brand new uh, movie, and it's uh, totally killer, and Matt got to see that one as well, so we'll go ahead, we'll review that first, and then after we have our reviews, we can hear a fall preview, and we have an entire review of the last season of Black Mirror, which is, most of you know, 
is sort of dark sci-fi, but the last season sort of mixed things up a bit and gave us uh, over half of the content was legitimately horror. So you'll get to hear that full review at the end of this episode. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, Matt, since you're here for just a little bit, do you want to set up Totally Killer for us? Sure. So uh, Totally Killer is a Blumhouse production that uh, just dropped to Prime, car, uh, stars Kieran Shimkus, I believe her name is. Uh, and she and Julie Bowen are the only two people I recognized in the cast. And it took me a minute to recognize Karen Shimkus, but uh, then it hit me, Mad Men. She was uh, the Draper's daughter in Mad Men. Um, but it's set in modern She's day. also the Black Coat's daughter. Uh, okay, so, but, so it's set in modern day. I believe the town is called Vernon. Um, and so it's a town that's kind of haunted by the fact that in 1987, there were, I believe, three murders where three different uh, teenage girls were stabbed 16 times, one on her 16th birthday. And this town has been dealing with this ever since. And Karen Shimkus's mother knew the girls that were killed. It appears that the killer has come back. Karen Shimkus gets uh, sent back to 1987 because this is kind of like Back to the Future meets uh, the final girls, if I could kind of summarize it that way. And she gets sent back to 1987 with her 2023 sensibilities, but with a white jacket that I couldn't decide if it was from Can't Buy Me Love or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, <laughs> but and and encounters her mother as a as a teenager and is trying to protect her and her friends from the serial killer. Would you say that? And the serial killer, by the way, is a masked killer who. You know, I don't know how you would describe the mask other than it looks uh, well, like a Max cheap Headroom. Green. Yes, yeah, yeah, is it Max say. Headroom? I okay. thought that's what it was. Uh, yeah, okay. Max Headroom. Yeah, kind of a yeah, kind of a Walgreens Max Headroom. I guess <laughs> that's a good uh, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, a uh, mask who's coming after people, and so that's pretty much the setup. I, I think that does it. Or what'd you guys add to that? No, no, I think that's a good uh, good setup, Matt, and. Um, First and foremost, definitely uh, probably a lot of comedy in this one. Mm -hmm. But um, I was going to say right off the bat, we're in October. How about that Halloween feel at the beginning of this and that first little scene? I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah, you've got the trick-or-treaters and, you know, the mom, Julie Bowen, who most people recognize from Modern Family or uh, maybe from Happy Gilmore or whatever. She's the mom and she's getting she's passing out trick-or-treat candy and and of course enough time has passed that the killer's mask has become kind of ubiquitous uh every other person seems to be wearing one and of course there is a guy who's doing a true crime podcast and and so you've got all that going on on uh, either if it's not on halloween night it's, it's around it yeah the 27th okay yeah. Yeah. i don't know and why. so <laughs> yeah it's a it's a good you know it's a very good kind of halloween feel um, even though I didn't recognize the rest of the cast, with the exception of the dad, I think he was in Freddy versus Jason. Yes, Lachlan Monroe. Okay, he's, a, he's got All quite right. a. He was in a scary movie, Dead Man on Campus. Okay. You can keep going. <laughs> okay, um, they're the only ones I recognize, but I still thought yeah. the cast was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And um, I would say too. I feel like what's pulling at this one is um, a lot of that, you know, 80s versus modern day kids and stuff. Yeah. And 
Uh, I think that's at the core of this one. But I don't think I don't know how you guys felt, but I don't think it was trying to take a stand saying one was better than the other or anything. Um, I did see someone reviewing this and said they can't wait to show the this to their kids to show them they didn't mi- what they missed out on in the 80s or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe give them an accurate idea of how the 80s were. But um, I thought a lot of that stuff was done really well. It was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought it was funny. And I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I don't know if he's done it or not. Like if I sat my son down at his girlfriend and played like like a Sam Kinison, you know, um, uh, stand up special from 1986 or 87, their heads might explode. Um, <laughs> That's true, right? Yeah. But, you know, this was, you know, a I lot mean, of she, cocaine jokes. Yes. A lot of cocaine. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and that's the least offensive. Um, that's but, true. Uh, you know, you know, she flat, you know, she travels back in time. She gets to 1987. And like the first guy she encounters is at this uh, amusement park. Uh, that by the time in 2023, it kind of looks like, you know, an amusement park from Scooby-Doo, but you know, it's, it's thriving in 1987. And the first guy she sees has a shirt that says federal boob inspector. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) she's constantly saying things like that is an unwanted touch. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. What what is the lady she meets at the side? She says something like, the eighties are almost over and I haven't even done Coke. And she turns around to the kids. They don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the kids are like in strollers um yeah it definitely it, it taps into some of that excess of the 80s for sure it definitely is but i think like you said trey it really is going for the back to the future vibe which is essentially just that parents and kids don't quite ever understand the gulf that's between the times they grew up in you know mm-hmm. you can explain it verbally and you're a different person by the time you have kids you have different responsibilities and so they see you in a different way and that's what happens here uh i didn't want to get into too much of what she encounters when she goes back but her mom's different than she expected i really enjoyed the movie i think it was a lot of fun i i will say that i think you know um uh freaky is definitely going to come into play here i think you know the final girls also, probably the Happy Death Day movies. Mm-hmm. The thing mm-hmm. about all of those, I don't know how you guys felt. While there is definitely gore and there's definitely a slasher component to this movie, I definitely felt that the overall visual look of the movie did tend more towards not feeling like a horror film. Did you feel that at all? Like, like it, when the, the killing scenes were happening, they were there, but there was a kind of a certain spookiness just in the in the in the the vibe of the of the world but this was almost even more cheerful than you would see you know this this could have at certain points you could feel you're watching like a disney channel movie or something like uh just in the terms of the actual way it was shot and everything or or uh you know one of these 80s comedies well and i think the director was the creator of like fresh off the boat and and all that other kind of stuff so i think she she came over directly from tv so that would make sense right and that's not a criticism it's just sort of an observation because i think what that does is it sort of disarms you for a while because the movie does deal a lot with like uh the the mystery and also the time machine so I'll, i'll get to that in a moment but it has a lot of plot mechanics going on in between the kills. So when the kills happen, you're suddenly reminded, oh, wow, this is a horror movie because they're pretty brutal. I mean, yeah. comparatively, yeah. they're not like, don't go in expecting to see, you know, this is not Terrifier. But when people are getting stabbed, they're getting stabbed. Well, yeah, the MO is to 
that the killer stabs his victim 16 yeah. times. So it's like, you know, right. it's going to be pretty brutal. Whereas the final girls was a PG 13. So a lot of that stuff ended up off screen, you know, it was still funny. It was a good movie, mm-hmm. but then you're, you're sort of thrown into the kills. I like the kills. I thought Kiernan Shipka was, was really what makes the movie. I think her yeah. reactions to everything, uh, she's got, uh, a great sense of comedic timing. And she's also a really good actress. So she internalizes a lot of things and she carries an emotional poignancy to things, even when there's not a lot of that going on. I know that final girls was very much about that mother daughter relationship in a certain sense. This is a little different. uh, And it, you're not going to quite get that because the mother daughter connection isn't there. And I was a little surprised that she doesn't interact with those characters more, you know, Uh, particularly given a sort of revelation towards the end of the movie where I thought, that would have been an opportunity to juxtapose the parents and the daughter maybe a little bit more than they do. I thought the movie was fun. It, it clipped right along. It was a good time. Uh, one thing I thought hampered it just a little bit is in some of these other movies, Freaky and Happy Death Day, they don't get bogged down in why the weird event is happening, right? So mm-hmm. Happy Death Day, she repeats the day. and Freaky, they body swap. In one of those, it's it's straight up like, dark magic right and in the other one we don't even know why in the first film and then the second movie gets bogged down in trying to explain why it happened but yeah. here when they introduce the idea of building the time machine and everything it gets a little clunky because you're you're you're, you're trying to think okay these kids no one everyone's concerned about the killer no one seems that impressed that this kid just built a time machine you know <laughs> for their like for their like school project it's just an aside i've got a time machine we can fix this and you're like what it's like peabody and sherman you know so i uh, there's a point when when you open that it's like i can still go along with it but it does it it, it slows the movie down a little bit because i'm sitting there thinking the kids have built a time machine and it's inside of a tilt world but overall i had a good time yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I did too. And we've talked about all of the, not to jump ahead or anything, but we've talked about all the movies this year that have kind of failed to stick the landing. I thought the ending was pretty excellent. And I, I thought, like kind of loved the way that it wrapped up and I'm not going to get any, any details or anything, but I think it had a pretty nice bow put on it there at the yeah. very end. Yeah. yeah. Be sure to don't let your Amazon prime kick you off. Be sure to stay for at least the first, like, three minutes of the credits or whatever it was. But no, I I, I hear what you're saying, you know, Nathan, but I still had a blast with it. Um, Oh, it's just an observation more than a real criticism. No, but I I hear what you're saying, but I just, I, I, you know, my, my petty being born in 1972, being 15 in 1987, what I was doing on a, on a Sunday afternoon watching it was, complaining about things like wait a minute it's 1987 nobody was listening to shannon's let the music play in 1987 <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is like the second movie of with that 80s thing where they they have like a almost a pseudo montage to yeah. under the milky way tonight <laughs> yes it's just like oh come on it's like 87 in a small town it was all white snake baby in 1987 <laughs> here i go you know here i go again um, you know, it was things like that. And then they all wanted to, who in 1987 was still dressing like Molly Ringwald? Well, well that might be, she still had some movies oh, no. coming out. Was that, anyone dressing what, like Molly what? Ringwald ever? I question that. 
what was coming out in 87 with Molly Ringwald? Betsy's Wedding, the pickup artist? I mean, come on. Well, I well, saw that as part of the joke because they, you know, she kind of makes fun of her mom in the beginning when she says, I'm dressed as Molly Ringwald because she says, I don't do what you're not dressing up this year. Um, so I took that as kind of part of the joke that they all did. That. Oh, it was a joke. I'm just yeah. saying I want, I want, I'm pitching Trey that I want to be hired as an eighties consultant for these future oh, you're pitching. I thought it was a different word. I you said pitching. I, I am pitching. I lived through it. Darn it. I was a teenager in the eighties and I was a teenager in a small town until I moved to LA in 88. So I, I, I want accuracy. Darn it. So no, well, no yeah, that, I, that makes sense because I've done that with, 90s stuff before too like hey that song didn't come out then so i get it yeah. yeah well it's like the back to the future thing everyone's like i haven't seen that movie yet really in 1987 if you're no, really everybody's seen back to the future in 1987 at that point back, that point back to the future is being oversaturated on television in 1987 yes. so uh, but you know those things always happen. It's and they've like, never seen a horror movie. They do. They don't go with the like the scream meta thing, because where do they go as you know as the as the daughter who's time traveled? What does she say? It was like, and you went to you were hiding from a killer, and you go to a cabin in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she said it was a like a condo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and they, I don't know what you felt. There's a later revelation in the film. That I thought was good because you're sitting there trying to guess the killer and, you know, I'm usually the person that's like, that's the killer and it proceeds to be the killer. But they had a, they had some interesting kind of twists on that. I won't say mm-hmm. any more. But there's a certain revelation that sort of does cast light on, uh, on her mother and that group of friends. And I thought that instead of being almost a throwaway moment that's really just a plot device to set something else up, I thought that really could have been something akin to when he shows up in the back to the future and realizes that his mother and his, you know, his father's just a dud that can't get itself together and stand up for himself. You know, when he realizes the situation and how it's just perpetuated itself, it seemed to me there could have been a a more interesting way to really have some uh, energy between the mother and the daughter with that revelation. But they kind of just, you know, I was surprised when it happened. I thought, oh, this is going to go in a different direction. And I think they could have done more with that too. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. But I, you know, overall, I don't want to nitpick. And I, yeah. I well, I, I will continue to nitpick things from the eighties that they get wrong. <laughs> for goodness' sakes, you can Wikipedia that crap. But I, um, but that all that being said, the year you, you know, we were talking before we started recording about this year and and what kind of year it's been compared to. I mean, let's face it, we've been spoiled the last couple years, yeah, uh, with a number of truly great horror movies. And this year we've had a lot of good horror movies, but not necessarily ones we're going to rush out to buy when they drop to Blu-ray or 4K or, or, or whatever. There's been a lot of movies that are like a six and we've had a lot of, and I know people hate this phrase, elevated horror <laughs> this year that I've seen. And to have something like this or a movie like The Blackening, which I watched this week, that's just pure fun for horror fans, I think, is is great to have. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've got several of those this year. Yeah. I think that's what kind of rises to the top when you don't have a lot else or the and, movies you have fun with. And this is one of the better ones. And I think yeah. a lot of that is down to Kiernan Shipka. She's she's really good. I thought she was good when she was on Sabrina and in, in Mad Men, like you mentioned, Matt. And, and again, The Black Coat's Daughter, which was a yeah. more serious horror film. Yeah. But she's got real comedic chops that I don't think I 
fully appreciated until I saw this film. Yeah. And the other thing about this, and I think I think this was said when Freaky came out, the Final Girls came out. Uh, these are movies that you know we talk about gateway horror movies for kids. Well, these are the gateway horror movies for people that aren't necessarily children, but maybe aren't into horror movies that much. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got a significant other. Uh, all all my horror loving friends who have wives that don't like horror, I'm like, hey, <laughs> totally killer just came out. Yeah. I think you can get, I think you can get your wife to watch this one with you. Yeah. This and, is a movie I could I could have yeah. shown to my wife, and I think she would have liked yeah, it. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of fun. There were there was a little too much adult humor for me to show it to the kids. Yeah, I was gonna say. So like, yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it first because my kids saw it and saw the trailer, and and they've seen the Happy Death Day movies, and they were like, Dad, can we watch this? I'm like, I I don't know. So and after watching, it was like, that's a no. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's how old are I mean, I don't know they're how old ten, the they're, they're anything, 11 but... and uh 9. So it's just a little it, yeah, I just, it's a lot of awkward. It's funny. Yeah. I'm not worried about like nightmares. I'm not worried about the the gore. I'm worried about having to answer awkward questions. <laughs> Yeah. About oral sex and an amusement park, yeah. That exchange, though, she goes. I think we're taking the <laughs> oh, wrong lessons so good. from this. <laughs> yeah, that is such a good exchange. Oh, just just the looks on her face. I could have a flip book of just her expression, reaction expressions, and that oh, would yeah. be. I would. I would probably give that the same rating as this movie. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a highly recommended by me. I give it a seven point five. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's it's a seven point five for me, and it might creep up a little bit on rewatch maybe yeah, to, it's right it's hovering eight. around the eight, yeah yeah you know. i think just like you guys were saying it's it really depends on who you're with like if you if you want to watch a halloween set horror movie with someone who's not super into being scared then it's probably going to go up a couple of notches because that's true <laughs> there's stuff for both of you to enjoy and yeah i mean you guys listening uh i mean if you're like us and you've seen practically every Halloween set movie out there. Well, here's a new one and it's not bad. So mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd come in around, I think an eight, I'm a little higher than you guys. Um, I, I really like the Christopher Landon movies and I was shocked to see he's not at least producing this or had didn't have any involvement. Yeah. Blumhouse. Cause it, it has those elements from happy death day and from freaky, I think. Uh, and he had a movie come out this year. I still haven't seen. I saw it's on Netflix. And oh, yeah, yeah. We very have a few people have have reviewed it. But yeah, Nathan, oh, I saw it too. Nathan yeah. kind of turned me off of that one a little bit. I think early. It's on. okay. It's a, it's 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 fun, but it's not a. It's not a horror movie. It involves a ghost, but it's not a horror movie really okay. in any stretch of the imagination. And it almost feels kind of sitcommy. Like it's it's not bad, but it's like it, it was to me. It felt like an. In fact, I forgot it existed until you just mentioned it. It has one of those Netflix movie of the week sort of feels to it, you know, where mm-hmm. just here's the latest movie and you'll forget it by the end of next week. And I love David Harbour and I love Christopher Landon. And there were things about it I really enjoyed, but it just, I don't know, it didn't quite come come to yeah. life for me. I was just shocked that that was, I hadn't heard anything about it. And it was a Christopher Landon film. and I, But I was also shocked that he didn't have something to do with this because... Yeah. About a half hour in, I thought for sure that he yeah. had to be at least a producer. Or that movie coming out called It's a Wonderful Knife. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I'm like, again, I thought, um, and uh, that's got, what's his name, Justin Long in it. Um, but uh, yeah, so Victor, did you see this one? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you guys pretty much said it all. But yeah, that, that seems to be the current Blumhouse formula for success is, I, I don't know if I really... Uh, I, 
I hesitate to say this, but I don't know if I really consider these horror movies. They're more comedies with gore in them. But um, but everything you guys said was right on. Like the the the, the kills are pretty visceral. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't be in a rush to show this to kids. But um, but yeah, uh, like you guys said, if you have a significant other that's not super into horror, but mm-hmm. more like appreciates thrillers, then they'll probably dig this. Um, but it's mainly yeah. a comedy. I thought the same thing with Megan, Freaky, Happy Death Day, all the other movies you guys mentioned. Um, I, I think that they're they're funny first, and then they do horror things enough to keep the horror people satisfied. So they're comedies playing with horror movie tropes is really what they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. And and yeah, Totally Killer was uh, directed by Nanachka Khan, who did Fresh Off the Boat, a sitcom that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm just kind of sad since that, that show was so big on the 90s. I'm kind of sad this wasn't set in the 90s because I don't think there are enough 90s uh, theme and it, movies. And it could there. have been, I think. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand why they, yeah. Um, and then I wouldn't have been able to complain about the music because I, I didn't really care for yeah, most of the music. Jackson in the 90s. Would. Then I would yeah, be, Jackson then I would, yeah, would be, would. uh, nitpicking the nineties. Cause yeah, there that's you go. Blind Melon was not out in 1992. That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> Blind but, but yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's enjoyable. It, it's quick paced. And, um, yeah, Kieran and Shipkin, uh, Kieran and Shipka's, uh, good performance, um, as usual. So mm-hmm. see it. Uh, yo, seven out of ten for me. No, okay. Good. So we're we're all in the same range. Solid, solid movie. The the twenty twenty three stamp of approval. Solid movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not the year we've good, got. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not exactly. the Outwaters. But I, it is, yeah, thank thank heavens. Um, not a movie we've reviewed here, and I have no intention of well, doing. After it. after watching Winnie the Pooh, Blood, uh, Blood and Honey, I may turn totally killer on again tonight it might go up to a 10 after that Scrub your brain yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun you know the, and it, the kind of year that it's been that, that i think i i would i wouldn't be surprised to see that movie a uh, totally killer on some end of the year lists um yep. i might break some pencils if i see blood and honey on any end of the year <laughs> don't don't <laughs> underestimate our friend greg amortis to, to, to each yeah, their own to each their own um yeah so that's uh that is totally killer. It's available right now on Amazon Prime. And Matt, I think you're leaving us, right? Not, not, yeah. not a, not, sorry, that sounded no, more I will, apocalyptic. I will leave you guys to. to continue the discussion. <laughs> I do just want to say, uh, yeah, we've got, as you said, Nathan, we've got a lot more coming. And, and hopefully this will be dropping in and around Friday the 13th. I do want to, um, well, first of all, happy birthday to uh, Dave Becker and Pearl. Because yeah. that'll be Friday 13th. Yeah, Pearl Morgan but, um, and Dave Becker have birthdays, yeah. But also, um, I, I get these emails all the time, and I encourage people to do it. Um, Camp Crystal Lake Tours, if you just Google that for the next Friday the 13th, um, you can get enter their lottery. And if you win, it's, it's about 300 350 bucks. But uh, you get to go to Camp Nobi Bosco where they filmed the original Friday the 13th. You get to spend the day there, and it is private property, so you can't just go out into the middle of uh, western New Jersey and walk on anytime you want, even though apparently Dave Z did. 
Um, but was he dressed as a trash can? I don't <laughs> know. I have no idea. That's that's all I know. I like but, to imagine him tiptoeing and like in a shrub or something. Yeah, but uh, if you go, it's well worth because all the money goes to the Boy Scouts who run the camp. Um, so it all goes to the Boy Scouts uh, for the camp, and it's a great, great day. You get to spend half the day touring the site. And you can spend the other half of the day hanging with the guests who were there. When I was there, it was having premarital Adrian. sex and getting murdered. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, there was Tom Savini, Adrian King. Uh, for some reason, Tom McLaughlin, the director of part six, was there. Huh. Um, until they chased him away. Until they chased him away. Uh, he didn't stay the whole day. Harry Manfredini was there. There were a couple people there. And then at the end of the day, everybody gathers by the lake and they set up an outside theater and they show the original movie on the beach where the final fight takes place. So, so for your next Friday 13th, it's too late to do it now. Uh, Listeners Google that it's worth the money. If you can do it, especially if you're, you're in like the tri state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, yeah, you you should go for it because it's a great day and all the money goes to a good cause. Yeah. I'm surprised they still limit that to a lottery. I mean, there's something to be said about supply and demand, but you think they'd be, uh, be doing that more often. Well, but. it's it's actually fairly small, and so they can only yeah. take so many. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, then you got people bussing people back and forth. And yeah, it, it and there's no place up. to bus them. I mean, yeah. it, it, that place is in the middle of nowhere. And I will say this: there is no cell phone coverage. Then you get kids getting drowned for real, and their moms go on a murderous rampage. Well, one of the reasons <laughs> they locked it down, uh, one of the um, counselors told me was that early after, just a few years after the movie had been filmed and it kind of got out somewhere that that's where they filmed it, they had people sneaking in at night, partying. Somebody burned down one of the cabins trying to set a fire in it. And then on top of that, years later, sometime in the 90s, somebody tried to baptize their child in the place where Jason drowned. Um, Was it you, Matt? No, no, no. Guys, I did not become a person of faith till 1997. This was the mid-90s. I think it's still um, questionable if that person trying to baptize him was a person of faith. But, uh, well, yeah. Uh, but but it's well worth it. It's it's a fun mm. time. So for your next Friday the 13th, if you can do it, I would recommend it. And with that, happy Friday 13th. Well, happy let me really quick, David Matt. Pearl. Let's just yeah. let's see if we can do this super quick. Right at the top of your head, because this, this counts as our... Friday the 13th, we're doing something for Friday the 13th. Your yeah. favorite Friday the 13th movie? Part two. Part two? Okay. Part one is what part one is. I mean, yeah. it is. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a particularly well-written film. I think there's a reason why Victor Miller ended up writing for soap operas the rest of his life. <laughs> um, because, I mean, you've got things like a supposedly a teenage Kevin Bacon trying to get in his girlfriend's pants by giving her a meteorology report. I mean, it's there are some weird things in that screenplay. But in part two, I think part two scarier. I think it's actually really frightening. I think that uh, hillbilly sackhead Jason is a lot <laughs> scarier than uh, than WWE um, hockey mask Jason. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think Amy Steele was the best uh, final girl in the series. I think she's fantastic in it. Yeah. And so I just think it's a much better film. I think it's one of the best horror sequels ever. Yeah, definitely scary. I mean, that's the only one I would really cite as being 
scary, I think. Um, oh, I saw it when it hit cable in like 82, 83. And yeah. it's, I was like 10 or 11. It scared the crap out of he comes out of busting me. through there at the end like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, <laughs> terrifying. yeah. But uh, mine is part four. I think part four is like where it legitimately – it's a good movie. Like there, you know, I think you can make and the it's case fun. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's the one where there's really you get to know the 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 the, the teens pretty well. It's like a John Hughes movie walked in and gets massacred. By well, and kid. that's what I would force probably my number two. Nathan, yeah. I'd agree with you because I think that what sets and I heard Brian Fuller say something to this effect. And Brian Fuller, of course, who did Hannibal, is a huge Friday Thirteenth fan, and he's doing Camp Crystal Lake, the series for Peacock, hmm. and he was on Eli Ross history of horror. If you go to the podcast, which is uncensored, he talks about his love Friday 13th. And he says that he loves two and four because the teenagers are not just, you know, machete fodder. They, they are people that you come to really like. And a lot of them are people you really know, like Ted in part two, the, the redheaded guy. Yeah. You know, everybody's known a Ted, right? You know, Ted automatically. And so that's one of the reasons I love two and four is because they're not just annoying people. You can't wait to get chopped up. And I think four kind of dispels that myth too, that, you know, people particularly like kind of people looking back on the horror films point out that, Oh, well they were really kind of moral because it's, you know, the person who has sex first gets murdered. I look at it differently. Part four is more like, Hey, get out there and do as much of this as you can. Cause you don't know when you're going to get killed. That's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you think a lot of those people, they died, they died happy. Trish, Trish didn't get a party and she's yeah. got PTSD to show for it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> right. Right. What does Laurie Strode get for surviving? That's right. She got a couple of tokes off a joint before yeah. they ran into the sheriff's dad. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Victor, do you have a favorite? Yeah, um, I I agree with Matt. I think uh, that Friday the 13th Part 2 is the best horror movie of the bunch, but my personal favorite is Part 6. Yes! Um, yeah. <laughs> so much fun. Is that is so, also fun, yeah. It's it's like all the other movies with your foot slammed down on the accelerator. Like everything that... Like and if your head in the girl's heard, lap. Yeah, yeah, if, <laughs> exactly. If you've heard things about the Friday the 13th series, part six is probably what you want. Like that's that's got like really good highlights of extreme excitement. Except um, the one thing it doesn't have is nudity. So if that's the thing you're after, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no nudity. Uh, that's true. They kind of put a kibosh on a lot of yeah. that. Because that's the only five, one I've been able right? to show my kids because the, the, the <laughs> violence is a little more goofy. The right. thing about six, and I, I agree with you and Victor, having just watched most of these for the first time, like last year via that Scream Factory set, I noticed that's the one where suddenly you get the horror flourishes, like oh, the gothic horror flourishes. You get right. the cemetery in the middle of the oh, night yeah. and the lightning and the and the comedy is up the ante and he's bending people together like well, they're uh, it, exercise yeah. equipment. Good. good could you blame Tom McLaughlin? I mean, if you get... If you get that assignment, yeah. where else are you going to go with it? I think he took it the right direction. I think direction. he did the, I agree one of the best I, uh, I think jobs. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And those great, the scene of like the kid reading like, is he reading like Sartre or something like that? Like on his chest, <laughs> he's got the book or No Exit. That's what he's reading. He's reading oh, like, No yeah. Exit. And the, it, it's the only movie that I know of of those of the series that has kids at the, at the camp. 
Yes. yes. Is yeah. there. And they, when the Jason is coming towards the, the cabins and the one little boy under the bed turns to the other little boy and says, so what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> when Tom McLaughlin was at Camp Novi Bosco, he told the story. He kept the headstone, Jason Voorhees headstone, oh. and he put it in his backyard and he had a meter man freak out when he went into his backyard and saw the tombstone back there. Perfect. <laughs> nice. That is perfect. Yeah. And Trey, how about you? Uh, Jason X. <laughs> I no. knew. I was literally about to say it's Jason X, isn't it? We have the no. same dad humor here. No, it's not really no, Jason X. It's, it's part two. It's part two. There you I, go. I'd love to continue your multiples of two there and go with eight, but that's one of the two that I haven't seen yet. So, yeah. Jason eight, X is fun in its own way. It's not a good movie, but it's it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for the time. I hope you guys have a great Friday 13th and rest of the spooky season. So I will Likewise. bid you adieu. Take care, Matt. Thanks, Thanks for Matt. joining. See you guys. See you. Okay. And now we are going to move on and do a review of a movie that is just now uh, releasing at the time that this episode is out. It will be... Uh, uh, streaming because uh, uh, this Friday 13th, it, it'll, it'll be available. It looks like it did have a limited release in theaters uh, October 11th. So uh, ju- just a couple days here ahead of time, probably playing in one or two showings. Uh, this is Dark Harvest. It's a 2023 horror film. Although uh, from what I understand, it, it's it been around for a little bit. I remember 2019, it was originally announced and uh, it's based off of a novel that I think came out in around 2006 or thereabouts, 2004. Um, and uh, a horror movie or horror novel that I didn't, I haven't personally read, but I have a lot of friends that have read it and who uh, really enjoyed it. Partially, I think, because it's, uh, it's A, set at Halloween, and B, is a pretty straightforward concept uh, that really lends itself well, I think, to uh, like a horror universe, creating a world. And I will read the basic synopsis that's coming off of Rotten Tomatoes here, and then we'll get into it. This movie is directed by David Slade, who, as I mentioned earlier, did uh, direct movies like uh, 30 Days of Night, Hard Candy, uh, movies that, you know, relatively fast-paced and brutal horror films. And and that makes sense uh, for this movie. Dark Harvest is a chilling tale set in a cursed town where every Halloween becomes a brutal battle for survival. During the fall of 1963, the terrifying legend Sawtooth Jack rises from the cornfields and makes its way toward town where gangs of 18-year-old boys stand ready to slaughter the murderous scarecrow before midnight. Among the boys is Richie, a rebellious outcast yearning to break free from the town's curse, driven by his brother's victory the year before. As the hunt progresses, secrets are revealed, leading to a shocking discovery and a fateful decision that could break the vicious cycle once and for all. Um, there's maybe, I don't know if there's, I don't know if you guys find that too spoilery. I think that's the basic setup. I don't think it's surprising to know that there's a little bit more under the surface of the story. Uh, but I think that, that that generally encapsulates what's happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's what I, uh, before I give any kind of review, I'll just give my immediate impressions of, the, the, the world that this sets up because I think well, maybe there's a, a need for a little bit more explanation. And I do want to mention uh, right up front, we and I mentioned this earlier, but we were given a screener of this to view. So uh, Studio did provide us with something to review, but our reviews are, you know, will reflect what we actually thought of the film. This 
is set like like it was said in 1963. It's right around Halloween. Uh, David Slade's the director here. The movie looks very slick and very polished, the same way that Thirty Days of Night yeah. and other films have. And immediately you are drawn into this world where this is a compelling sort of idea. It jumps right in to the fact that this is a thing that happens every year, that this monster comes up out of the cornfield. We don't see it immediately, but uh, the really interesting kind of melding here is you've got a little bit of Children of the Corn, you've got a little bit of Pumpkinhead, and then it's married to something more like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery or The Hunger Games, mm -hmm. where these kids end up being this last stand. Because if, the, if Jack makes his way all the way through town and gets to the church, if he enters the church something catastrophic will happen to the town. And they know this because something happened in the past, but they, because he reached the church, they don't know what will happen, you know, next time. It might be something totally different, but they, they spent years recovering from that mistake. And the creature can be killed, and, but it doesn't stop it from coming back the next year. And so that is already kind of a very cool idea to play with. I like that this is set in the 60s. It gives you this world. I noticed that some of the, the guys, their um, their team jacket said Bradbury on the back. I don't know if it was Bradbury High or whatever, but that, oh, right. that seems to be a good uh, name check right off the bat because in concept alone, this feels very much like a Ray Bradbury-esque story mixed with yeah. some Stephen King. And so I loved just that concept, that idea, and that world uh, right off the bat, and I did like that it, it, in setting it in the 60s, I think it gives the there's a sense of this town being isolated and having to deal with this on their own, and we never see them outside of it. doesn't seem like people leave the town very often, and I think by setting it in the 60s, you allow that um, sort of seclusion to feel a little bit more normal. No one can, no one can call out for pizza or, you know, type up their experience on social media and show, show them like beating Jack down. So you have the, you know, they're on their own and this is how they've chosen to deal with it. Um, guys, what did you think about the setup of the film first, just to talk about that? Cause I think it is, it's, it's one of the most appealing things I think about this, about this title. Yeah. The setup is amazing. I, I love the setup. I love the world. I love this whole idea. Um, execution we'll get into later but the setup right off the bat i think is a really good one yeah uh i think uh nathan you mentioned the cinematography is gorgeous uh the cinematographer was larry smith and the art director was mike Mulhall, and they did an amazing job the, the movie looks terrific and I think it also sounds pretty great. It's got music by Brian Reitzel. Um, he, uh, you know, he did the music for the Hannibal TV show. And uh, I actually hired him to do a video game uh, back in 2011, I think, called Red Faction Armageddon. And he oh, was nice. A, yes. Nice. Yeah. Joy to work with. He's a, he's a genius. And oh, and he did 30 Days of Night. Uh, that's probably why he got this gig, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I love the music in that movie too. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's great. He's a, a, a drummer, you know, he's a percussionist. So a lot of his music that sounds like synthesizers is really just like bells, like uh, ringing bells with a, a, a digital treatment of some kind on them. But anyway, he's really great at what he does. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I think that, but, uh, but I do think that it, it does have its twists and turns. Um, I guess my, my criticism is that they are rarely earned. 
Um, like the, it doesn't have much emotional impact, but, uh, you know, the, the cast is a little eerily good looking. Um, it, yes. it distracted me a little bit. There's uh, definitely a CW sort of vibe over the way this has been cast and even presented, uh, not to say that any of the actors are bad, but that Casey likes who plays Richie Shepard, who's the main character, the, the, the guy who wants to leave the town and is, uh, his family sort of the centerpiece of this. I I've never quite gelled with him as a as a lead. Like he never engaged me that much. Yeah. No. And I I want to say off the bat, I don't know if either of you felt this way, but I felt almost you talk about the cast a little too good looking. That opening, that cold open, I it was almost a little too glossy. I almost got like an uncanny valley feel for a little bit, and I did get over that eventually. But that opening's kind of jarring, and um, it took me a little bit to settle into the film and get into it. Yeah, yeah, there is a sense where it's almost like looking at a Norman Rockwell painting or something. There's a there's a little bit of a like artificiality to mm-hmm. the way it's presented. It's very arc. It feels almost like you're reading a graphic novel at points, and which might make sense too, because again, Slade adapted Thirty Days of Night from a graphic novel using. Right a similar sort of visual palette. Uh, and that, and I agree, Trey, that was right up front that there's a little bit of a remove. You'd never quite are allowed to fully get in with these characters. And it's kind of a shame because there is some other drama going on in this film. Uh, and that setup is great. Stop. You know, it's as simple as a video game setup. Stop him from getting to the church. And then the whole town is out in a kind of the young people specifically out in the sort of blood frenzy. I thought that there's an opportunity there. And when you have, I think, to speak to the eerily good-looking, it's not just that they're good-looking. They're all of a very specific type that mm-hmm. you would see in an old, like a in a Stand By Me or something, right? Yeah. Without the colorful, eccentric kids that are at the heart of Stand By Me, this movie, in a movie where you've got everyone, all these young people are going to set out and, 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 and put, try to kill this guy on their own, you could have put some really interesting characters into this film. You could have made a very interesting, almost a Warriors-esque movie, you know, out of the, he's here and we've got to stop him. And you could have these different factions. That's really not that present. I thought that was going to be a larger part of the story right. to see these different groups coming up against this this creature. Now, what I will say for the movie is it is very fast paced. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, and for the most part, it goes by very quickly. The Sawtooth Jack, when you finally get to see him, I really liked the design. It wasn't breathtakingly original, but I thought he uh, he seems very ferocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at first, you see him, and when he's when they come up against him, there's real kind of throwdowns that happen. I mean, these are vicious, bloody battles, and in fact, it was a little more bloody than I was expecting. Uh, in in a good way, I thought that those scenes were. They had a strength, and you do get a certain tension of uh, how are they going to stop him, and will they stop him? And we know he can be stopped, but as the movie goes along, I think what happens, at least for me, is that it starts to unravel as it as it expands. So it wants to bring in a few other plot points, a few other things that are going on, which makes sense. This story is closer to an old pulp horror story that often they had layers, right? It's not just the monster. It's the tragedy of the monster. There's other things that are going on. So at that level, I wanted I wanted more. 
and where the movie ultimately goes, I thought it got very clunky because it started wanting to be both vague and overly explicit to tell us things that we learned 30 minutes earlier in the film. Right. And I thought that didn't just slow the momentum, but in a lot of ways killed the potential drama because there's some, there's some potential for some poignancy in this film. Mm -hmm. And I even started to enjoy things like, uh, a, you know, the relationship between Richie and Kelly, the girl that works at the movie theater. Yes. And yeah. she's an African-American girl in 1963. And we see a little bit of that tension. Those, I wanted more of that. I wanted yes. to see more what life in this town is like when you're not hunting Sawtooth Jack. And also, I don't need everything fully explained for me, but there was almost no, unless I missed it, there's not much indication of why this started, when it started, or how they even learned to do this. You know, yeah. the ritual in which they engage in, I like world building details that at least suggested how a person would have come to decide this. How did you realize that all the things that have to take place in order for this cycle to happen? How did they learn that? And and there's so little of it touched upon. It feels like the movie's a like the movie isn't up. Its imagination is not up to dealing with that idea, and so they leave it out. From what I understand, it's dealt with more in the book. And yeah, while I haven't read the book. I did compare endings, and this is a really clunky way to to end this film. Yeah. And the book seems to have the right. The book does exactly what I was actually expecting. It's kind of a mixed bag for me. It's a fun movie. I think it's a fun holiday movie, but I'm going to say the last thing that to me is maybe the biggest disappointment. I agree it looks great, Victor, but I thought they missed a big opportunity with the Halloween fall ambiance. Yes. The movie's yeah. desaturated a lot. This movie needs a lot more color in it. It needs to really have that vibe of those fall autumn streets. You could have, again, we need more scenes of like the rest of the town doing whatever it's doing in between these these hunts or how is the town adopt, uh, adapted so that Halloween's a completely different thing we don't really get that and if you look at the cover of the book the dark harvest the painting or whatever is on the cover of the book that gives you the Ray Bradbury October country feels mm. i didn't get any a single whiff of that watching this no. movie this is a fun carve jack o' lanterns have some cider watch the movie i did enjoy it i i'm recommending it but I had a lot of issues with it, and it, it felt like it could have been a slam dunk, and it's yeah. frustrating that it's not. I, I, I think you articulated exactly what I was feeling there, Nathan. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, yeah. The the I mean, obviously, we can't tell you the the ending, but it um, it it just it just stops. Like the movie, the movie doesn't finish in a in a appropriately dramatic way. It it's it's just over and. You're like, okay. And I, I think the best way to enjoy this movie, maybe just turn off your brain um, and and just kind of go with the feel of it. But uh, Nathan, you're absolutely right. That's what I was feeling. I was imagining on, in several steps of the movie that it was going to be much cooler. Like I was like, oh, this is, it's going to be this. And it's not. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, oh, well. Um, and uh, yeah, they don't really, they don't, there's not really a good reason for them to dodge those, cool possibilities because what they give you is rather lame. Um, but uh, the parts are pretty good. The, the parts are better than the whole. Yeah. And I got a, just a couple things I wanted to talk with you guys about. And first of all, I do like Nathan, you mentioned that movie theater. Uh, there, I did like a little scene in the movie theater between our leads, but 
there was something that was bugging me and you had gotten into a little bit of this, but there was like a, an ethnic racial slur used earlier on in the film. And that was kind of getting at me during the movie because I don't, didn't see any follow up, any reason behind it, any context. It just seemed like it just came out of nowhere and there was nothing, um, nothing for that. I don't know if that's a bigger deal in the book, but that was really like, I, I didn't know what the point of it was. Um, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking, what I'm referring to or anything, yep. but yeah, I, I, I know. And I think I wonder because this is a movie that's coming to us, the kind of movie that dark harvest is right now. I usually see this in, in under two circumstances when a movie is rushed into production and released very quickly, mm-hmm. or a movie gets shelved and sits around and suddenly has time for people to pick at it, you yeah. know, and, and to, to mess with it and to and, and to second guess it. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that feel like they were second guessed, maybe reshot uh, and, and done a different way because there's moments when it's just the natural flow of that scene is for this to continue and happen. And instead the characters stop and do something else that makes no sense that, that a character wouldn't do in that circumstance, given what they know. And what's going to happen, it just doesn't make any sense. And so you sit there watching what feels very contrived. But again, this sounds very negative for a movie that I'm ultimately still recommending. But I think, hey, it's an original idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a sequel. And it uh, what it does, it does technically very well. It's just, I think, it's my classic thing. Sometimes when you got something... When you pull together something so good, your responsibility is to make it as good as you can. And I think this is so good, it's frustrating that it doesn't cross the line for me. Yeah, that's the biggest issue. You know, it's brutal. um, It's unflinching in a lot of ways, and it's very much like a David Slade film. And I loved that. I love those parts. And they do such a good job of making the villain seem menacing and seem uncontrollable unstoppable and I, I don't know how many buzzwords i can use here but but that tension is killed at a certain point yes it's just the film's just so like jarring and so all over the place and once you get to that i don't know what last 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. um, i'd say even i i'd say the tension related to the to the antagonist dissipates even before that yeah and i kind of i don't know if you guys but i kind of saw at least someone i didn't see the exact points but i kind of saw where it was going um at some point and i think the way they even even then knowing they could have handled it in a different way but the way they handled it was just not not well done this becomes a different kind of horror story about halfway through a different kind of genre story maybe and there's a different emotion that should take over at a certain point and that emotion never shows up (laughs) you know it doesn't what needs to happen doesn't enter the picture and so the the thrills and attention of the early half when they clock out for the day nobody shows up to pick yeah. up the rest yeah and i think victor had touched on this but it's we just don't have that attachment to yeah. the characters it's there's yeah. no attachment built so ultimately this is a really fun I, I don't know if i'd say fun but it's a really good it's really good for horror fans there's a lot of brutal fast-paced action and things like that but when it comes to the character moments when it comes to the story when it comes to developing all of that there are issues yeah it doesn't get to the church on time yeah <laughs> <laughs> um right. this is a, well, i guess on that oh i don't want to say any more about it you know, plot wise and again 
Um, I might sound like I'm coming down negative, but I do think it's worthwhile to sort of to delve into it a little bit because I know they're going to be, and I, I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't dissuade anybody from watching it, particularly fans of the book, because you're going to, you're going to compare it to the book. I'm, I'm interested in reading the book now because this yeah. is a really cool sort of um, uh, idea and concept. Um, and I enjoyed what they did with it. And maybe this is a, is, is a damning statement, but I will say this, if someone announced tomorrow that they were remaking it. I, <laughs> I would want to know who, and I might be interested. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and I, and you mentioned the book, and I just want to say really quick, like I, we can't compare, because I think, Nathan, you and I both kind of spoiled the book for ourselves. But um, Well, we at this point, you've seen the basic contours of the story. This yeah. story seems to be pretty close to the book. It's yeah. just that there's a zig where there's a zag. Yeah. But we can't com- sit here and compare the endings, but just on its own, the ending we got wasn't satisfying. I'll say so structurally it it doesn't work in my opinion. Yeah. So outside of any comparisons to the book and how we would rather have it end or anything like that, it just doesn't hold up on its own. Yeah. Very, very few movies like get you going in one direction and then totally shift. Like, I mean, psycho is a really good example, but Mm -hmm. there's a good reason for that. Um, I think this movie does something similar. Like you're, you're, you're kind of getting emotionally involved in what these two characters are doing. And then all of a sudden the movie's about something else, like two thirds of the way through emotionally speaking. And, uh, that, that shift is really, uh, it's not really jarring. I mean, it, it happens naturally in the script, but, um, it makes you lose the momentum of, really caring about what's going to happen next yeah it doesn't it doesn't disrupt the momentum but it punches a hole in the structure it punches a hole in the foundation of the movie i think um because not because of what happens but because of how it's handled how it doesn't feel uh like it's cohesively taken to the next step i think that what we learn and what happens is interesting but they don't emotionally back it up because as you said victor we were focusing on something else right so, uh, well, how about let's go ahead and do ratings um, for this one. Um, Victor, how about you first? What, you, what are you rating this one? Well, uh, first I wanted to say this this is the final release by Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios, as it was, um, uh, before Amazon acquired it. Now that's it's true, yeah. Amazon, MGM Studios. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that could explain why it was delayed the last time, mm-hmm. um, because the management was changing. Maybe the the executives were leaving um, and nobody really knew what to do with it. So, um, but anyway, uh, now it's uh, now it's MGM, Amazon. So let's see what they do. I mean, Amazon does do some good things. So, uh, but yeah, as a rating, I'd give it... Um, a 6.5 out of 10 and a recommendation to rent it. Yeah, I'm exactly there. 6.5. I recommend, uh, recommend it as a rental. And I think, you know, if you are someone who's looking for, uh, I, I, I just spent some time ragging on how I thought there should be more Halloween flavor. There is some, it does have that vibe and the story is there. So if you're looking for a kind of fun, and you're not quite sure what to, to rent this year to watch on Halloween, and you're, you want something new, I, I I would give this one a I give this one a spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll uh, you know I, I think I'm gonna I was wavering a little bit. I think I am gonna come in with a six point five as well. 
Um, but there's a lot of good horror action. There's a lot of fun to be had with this one. Um, so it's definitely worth carving out a little bit of a time to check it out. But, <laughs> but I, I feel like we were a little overly negative, but it's still a recommendation for me to stream it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that is Dark Harvest, uh, and it will be available to probably to rent and to own on streaming platforms come this Friday, the 13th. Cool release date. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. And it's interesting too, because I don't think we even had a, we didn't have a trailer forever and we only got a trailer like about a month ago. Hmm. Yeah. So, but that seems to be a theme too. We've yeah, seen that for several other. That can be kind of cool. It's neat yeah. because here's a movie that you didn't even know what happened to it. And suddenly boom, it's back on the radar and it is one that's worth seeing. And I think that, you know, in a time when not all, you know, there's a lot of horror movies out there that really aren't worth your time. It is nice when these things sort of just sneak up on us, you know? Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, we should add um, that Luke Kirby, uh, a excellent Canadian actor, um, Bill Van Vagel. You, I hope you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> he plays this really unhinged police officer in the movie. Does a good job. Um, he was probably the scariest uh, non, you know, uh, <laughs> the scariest non sawtooth Jack character in the in the movie for me because i really didn't know what he was going to do um and uh yeah that dude plays uh lenny bruce and the marvelous mrs Maisel. not a horror show but an excellent comedy show on on prime as well and uh he's i I can't wait to see what he does next yeah yeah and and another actor you may recognize here is jeremy davies who i told these guys like i spent all of this movie thinking he was Henry Thomas. And that's probably because I've been seeing Henry Thomas all over the place recently in like pet cemetery and things like that. The new pet cemetery. Um, But yeah. uh, So recommendation to rent. Um, Very, very cool, unique world. Like I, I, I do love that idea of there's this cycle and the town is held in thrall by the cycle. And uh, that, that stuff is, is very cool. That wraps up, uh, reviews for totally killer and for uh, dark harvest and stay tuned. I've got some, some reviews of a few new movies as well. Okay, and now I do have a handful of small mini capsule reviews in the five to seven minute range that I wanted to cover. Okay, so now we're going to move into a small segment about films that are playing in theaters right now. And these are going to be small capsule reviews, even shorter than I think I've normally done in the past in the five to seven minute range. Most of that is because I imagine we're going to cover these in greater detail in future episodes once the whole team has had a chance to see them. But they are in theaters right now, and I wanted to give everyone a quick sort of heads up uh, if you have the opportunity to see them while they're still on the big screen. So tonight we do have quick reviews for Exorcist Believer, Saw 10, and I had an opportunity to see a film anthology called satanic hispanics i'm actually not sure if that film is still playing in theaters i got a chance to see it uh at a one or two night event where they were playing it and they happened to have it on the um 
I got a chance to see it while it was playing. I think it may have only played for a weekend. I'm not sure what the status of that film is, whether it's headed for streaming or headed for a longer release later, but I did want to cover it and, and give you the heads up on it. So let's go ahead and start with Exorcist. I'm going to keep this basic and not get into too much of the plot synopsis. Uh, you can find a lot of that online, but I did want to talk about it. It's, of course, the latest in the Exorcist series. It is a sequel. It falls into what I imagine most people are calling a legacy sequels, where we're bringing back characters and events from the first Exorcist film and and weaving them into a new story, I will say that this is, what, number... Technically, this is number five, but it's also kind of number six because there were two versions of Exorcist Four: the one directed by Rennie Harlan and one directed by Paul Schrader. I've seen both of those films and the three previous Exorcist movies. Of course, Exorcist being one of the greatest horror films uh, ever in my opinion, The Exorcist remains one of the best horror films ever made, and not just one of the best horror films, but a really great movie in its own right that manages to be a film that's scary, that's about the struggle between good and evil and how it plays out in human terms, and a great film about faith, losing faith, finding faith, what does sacrifice look like, and I think that it's a movie... It is a movie of its time when it was made in the 1970s. It has, of course, inspired so many movies that have come after. But it's still a very special film because it takes the supernatural. It takes elements of religion, of dogma, and of faith, and of, of unbelief, of, of, of times of struggles with faith, and blends them into a picture that feels remarkably real, despite all of the vomit, all of the horror makeup, the twisting heads, and all those cool special effects, the film is, is very much a drama centering on characters who feel very believable and very real and very tactile, and then the visceral nature of that film only enhances all of that. So we get the sequel, Exorcist 2. I think only a small handful of people have tried to do any sort of renovation on that movie's reputation, but trust me, that's a horse that doesn't run. And Exorcist 3 is a great film, too. I think what's so good about that one is it actually, instead of following these Catholic priests, even though you've got one who's struggling with their faith, and you still have these kind of paragons who come in and rely upon God, you follow really uh, is a secular agnostic struggling with the idea of whether God is really there for us in the midst of evil. And I think that's a really smart move. And as many have pointed out, except for a studio-mandated exorcism in the theatrical version, that movie isn't really about an exorcism. It's about continuing the story of Damien Karras and Detective Kinderman. So those elements are really interesting in the, in, in the first film and the third film. The fourth film and the... Uh, both versions of the fourth film have a lot of problems. A lot of those are production issues where neither film feels completely finished. One feels very rushed, and the other one feels sort of incomplete, even though I prefer Schrader's version because it carries the through line of a man struggling with his faith in a world surrounded by real, tangible evil and a god that seems mostly absent. So I think those elements in the Schrader version help you create a through line from movie one to movie four. So how about this new one directed by David Gordon Green, David Gordon Green, a very promising filmmaker in the early 2000s, creating these really amazing, almost Terrence Malick-esque drama pieces that, that had a almost 
mythic sort of Americana feel to them, at the same time having very real, believable characters, often young children who were experiencing this world through the lens of, a, of someone who doesn't completely understand what's going on. Loved his movies. He's had three or four stages. He's gone through the stoner phase. He's now in the let's make sequels to popular horror movies and tick off, uh, you know, the fan base phase. But as a as an acknowledged fan of the Halloween trilogy, I liked all three movies. Yes, all three. I came to this with, with trepidation because I think there's something different about making a sequel to The Exorcist. And there are more things you have to consider when trying this. And I think The Exorcist, as much as I love Halloween, The Exorcist is on a different level of film because it it passes over into mainstream drama a lot more. And I wasn't really enthused to see this movie. I did see it. And for the first hour or so of this, I was extremely happy. I thought they were taking it in exactly the right direction. You'll see a lot of the old school David Gordon Green coming into play here, building a world that has small, suspicious elements of the supernatural that appear right on the horizon, uh, right at the corners of everyday life. Uh, and we see lives that have already been kind of tainted by tragedy and by lost faith and all of those things that were apparent in the first Exorcist life in its precarious way, is going along, and then suddenly there's this other layer that begins to insinuate itself. And that hasn't been done as well since the first Exorcist and elements of Exorcist 3. As much as I love Exorcist 3, that's a little bit more of a bombastic film, and because it plays with police procedural elements, it gets into the supernatural from a different angle. So in a lot of ways, what's happening here shows Green employing a lot of tactics that Friedkin himself used while telling a story that initially is very different from what we saw in The Exorcist. We're not right back into these same characters. And a lot of the flourishes, which have were flourishes in the original Exorcist, were almost original and shocking details, have now become exorcism boilerplate for these types of movies. Most of that is not apparent in this first hour, which focuses on characters and developing ideas that are an addition and an expansion of what we saw in the previous Exorcist films. I like that. I don't want to get too much into the story, but it does follow a character named Victor, who's played by Leslie Odom Jr., in a really strong performance that is given more to do, that is even more fleshed out as a parent struggling with the protection of their child in a way that's it's more developed even than the Ellen Burstyn character in the original film, at least on that, that level. He's very good, and his relationship with his 13-year-old daughter, which is the heart of this film, is also very good. And Lydia Jewett plays his daughter, who Angela, and the opening of the film goes all the way back to a tragic event that happened in Victor's life, where he was essentially placed in a position to make an unthinkable choice, and 13 years later, here we are, he's a, a dad who's trying the best he can, he's very protective of his daughter, and she and a friend of hers end up going out into the woods and encountering a scenario that when they come back, it seems like things are not are no longer right with them, and as we know, we're watching a horror film, this leads to the film's centerpiece possession. Now, what's interesting, again, about this first hour, outside of that strong relationship that Victor and his daughter Angela share, is that the characters on the periphery 
begin to become as interesting as Victor. Particularly, there's a neighbor, Anne Dowd, that when the supernatural begins to expose itself, she steps in, and I was really compelled by her character. What we start to see is this small circle of various people from different faiths. This is one of the most interesting aspects of the movie, is that we're no longer, at least in the early going here, uh, solely relegated to Catholicism coming in to save the day. That plays a part, but we're watching characters out of their depth try to do what they can for their fellow people, and these are people of faith. And I liked the way Green puts the emphasis on them. He allows them to develop as real people. But what happens is after that first hour, which is a lot of, of, of set building, what I became sort of prepared for was David Gordon Green's take on an exorcism film. He put these characters in place. Now all he needed to do was flesh them out and bring this event into the center of these people. But instead, we know this is going to be a legacy film, so we do get Ellen Burstyn back as Chris McNeil, and I honestly think this is one of the weakest segments of the film and one of the weakest elements of the movie. Ultimately, the art house gets traded out for the dime store, and we find ourselves in very overly familiar territory, done in a style that, while flashy and superficially slick, that doesn't have nearly the impact of the original or Exorcist Legion. Everything that's done with her character feels very clunky. It feels very much like a gimmick. She doesn't organically fit except to tie this film back to The Exorcist. And in those ways, everything here feels kind of perfunctory, which sort of surprised me. Because as we get to the scares, and there's some decent creepy scares, again, in the early going of this movie, when we get to the full-blown histronics that we, the, the demonic possession, it plays almost like a parody of what was in the original film. I mean, it's not at the level of Leslie Nielsen and Linda Blair in Repossessed. It's not that. But there are moments when I was smirking or sort of taken aback by how sort of cheap, not 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 special effects-wise or things like that, how sort of uh, even lazy and generic some of these sequences felt. Here, Gordon Green is just trot he's trotting out your typical horror conventions related to exorcism movies, and they fall flatter here than they would do in a smaller film because their expectations are higher. And we, and in addition to the, the the burden of the first film, we also now have the fact that he's introduced us to, to characters we're ready to follow, and then he sends them off on a pretty much routine, run-of-the-mill horror film that really lost my interest. One of the shocking things in this movie is how how sort of incidental and lackluster the exorcism itself feels in the context of this film. And as a fan, it wasn't so much what uh, plot-wise is done with Chris McNeil, is the fact that there isn't much thought given to why she needs to come back into this story. And it feels very tacked on. And she never resonates as much as many of these characters. And what she does, though, is she kind of sucks some of the air out of the room that could belong to these characters. Again, if this film had followed the Anne Dowd character, someone who has some sense of what's going on, she has uh, a certain amount of, of ability to come in and understand the supernatural stakes here. 
Her faith is strong. Had the movie followed her, I think we would have had something much more interesting. It may have not been as appealing to people that wanted to see these old elements, but I think these old elements are what sort of hinder the film. Ultimately, there are a lot of ideas floating around the second half of this picture, and there's just too many of them. And what happens is very scattershot. Exorcist Believer is not a bad movie. Uh, in fact, a lot of times, it's a pretty good movie. At the end of the day, though, I was very disappointed by it because it doesn't live up... It's not that it doesn't just live up to The Exorcist. It doesn't live up to the promise that's presented in the early going. And if I believe if Green had trusted more in his own instincts, his, his filmmaking instincts from some of his earlier pictures that had real passion and real heart, when he tries to play in some of these genre fields, I think he lets go of some of that passion, some of that expertise that he brings as an artist and he he thinks he knows better and then what he sometimes ends up doing is creating a movie that feels largely generic and I don't know how this is going to be a trilogy because I don't think there's much left open here but a lot of the poignancy a lot of the impact that came from the original film and from Exorcist 3 doesn't really exist in this movie and I think that is down to the filmmakers ultimately piggybacking off of, we've got The Exorcist, we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to hit all of these beats. And these beats just simply are worn out and tired. And that concept of a sort of interfaith communal family coming together to fight demon, to fight the demon, and the idea that faith without works is dead, that uh, loving your neighbor like yourself... Green finds certain threads to bring these ideas in and place some centerpiece in the action, but because they're not fleshed out, because we don't know these characters as well as we should, they feel forced, and they feel kind of trite, and the ending of the movie actually let me down quite a bit, because this is something in this happens in this film that has never happened in any of the other Exorcist movies, and I think in some ways, while Green is trying to make a movie that takes religion and takes belief and faith seriously, I think in some ways he defangs it because he never quite has the courage of his own convictions, filmmaking-wise, when he enters into that second half of the movie. So unfortunately, I'm giving this about a six. It's got a great beginning, it's got a lackluster middle, and it's got a disappointing end. That being said, I, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It is certainly not uh, as bad as, as many are making it out to be. And I think that largely it's better than most of the sequels we've had, again, with the exception of part one and part three. And while I think that Schrader's Dominion, because it does get a little bit more personal, is maybe more appealing to me, I think there's a lot to like an Exorcist Believer. But if you ask me, this should probably be the end of the road for this franchise because I think the shadow is too long... <laughs> And I, I'm, I don't know that Green himself has the tools to step out of that shadow. And it, he, he certainly hasn't demonstrated it here. It's a very uh, disappointing uh, report for me to come back and say that I, after loving this, the opening of this more than I thought I would, it's disappointing to say that this one doesn't quite stick the landing. However, I'd say my recommendation is a rental when it eventually comes to video or streaming. Check it out. See it for yourself but I can't give this a wholehearted recommendation, unfortunately. 
Now, on the flip side, I was quite surprised to see that the 10th film in a horror film franchise turns out to honestly be its best entry. Yep, I'm talking about Saw 10, the 10th film in a series that uh, hasn't had, for me personally, any film that really stood out and grabbed my attention. I know a lot of people love this franchise, and I honestly, I can see the appeal. One of the things that this the Saw series, and in some ways the Paranormal Activity series, sort of perfected was a very uh, commercial-friendly way to tell little chapters of a story uh, without having to develop lots of characters and lots of situations. All you needed are really elaborate traps, and then a film structure that ties each movie together in sort of tricky, clever ways, so that the desire to go to see the next movie isn't ha doesn't have to be based off of stars or based off of anything intrinsically interesting in the individual plot, but rather curiosity to see, well, how are you going to tie what happened last time into what's going to happen this time? And what new gimmicks and what new sort of tricky machinations can we get up to? All of this sort of tied together via Tobin Bell's Jigsaw. And Tobin Bell cast as John Kramer, who is the identity behind Jigsaw, was probably one of the series like Masterstrokes, even though I personally felt that Tobin Bell got shortchanged through most of the series. We mostly hear his voice. We see him in a sort of figurehead role when he is on screen. And the idea that Jigsaw is a killer with a sort of moral purpose never quite completely gelled with me, uh, mostly because we never got to know the man himself. And after nine other films, all of which mostly left me cold, I did enjoy uh, the third Saw and elements of many of the other episodes, we finally get a movie that puts Tobin Bell not just front and center, but also puts John Kramer as a person up front, and we get to see how he functions emotionally and we get to see how twisted his mind really is because let's make no mistake that while there are elements of this film that create sympathy for John this occurs somewhere between the first movie and the second movie and we see him struggling with a terminal illness and the potential hope that that illness can be cured what happens here is that we get a sense of him as a human being. That doesn't mean that we necessarily love him or can completely agree with the twisted, weird things that he does, all of them behind a sort of high and lofty purpose. For the first time, I could see where he was coming from in a way that was intrinsically interesting to me, someone who's interested in seeing characters and seeing thought processes that I might not be familiar with. And that's what happens here. Tobin Bell and... His protege, Amanda, again, if you've never seen any Saw movies, this is a bit of a spoiler, but Amanda, played by Shawnee Smith, we get to see what their relationship looks like. This is at a certain point, and if you're a fan of the series, you know everything that's going to happen to both of these characters, but to see them here is to reveal a few new layers to them, and we see how they, they function as people, and that was surprising to me. Everything else in the movie does follow the sort of typical Saw dynamics. There's a lot of twists and turns and contrivances and some uh, pretty gnarly and gruesome deaths. I probably winced more in this film than in many of the others. Also, the sense of irony, of, of, uh, of irony and also of the desire to force repentance 
actually come through in these traps a lot more, I think, than they did in the other pictures. I don't want to get too much into the rest of this because if you're a Saw fan and you haven't seen this, you're absolutely going to want to because it, it does work as a pretty twisty, fun thriller. I felt the first Saw movie particularly sort of hoodwinks the audience by putting us uh, in a situation where we have information that either doesn't make sense or sort of refuted later on. Here, this takes us through the eyes of John Kramer himself. We see him observing the traps. We see him reacting to the traps. And that really makes all the difference. When Jigsaw showed up, I think the intention was really to have a serial killer series in the vein of something like Seven or something like that. And But Kramer himself as a character doesn't fit your typical serial killer M.O. And here, through Tobin Bell's performance, we see that he's not necessarily this cold, clinical, moral killing machine, although he, he definitely has some issues. Let's not sidestep that. He ends up creating a character that's a little bit more mythic and uh, tempered and layered in a way that, you know, he went from uh, people throwing him in the same vat with, with a Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger. I found that this movie sort of made me finally connect and realize that he's closer to a Vincent Price, uh, Dr. Fibes, or uh, Mad Magician, that sort of thing. He's, he's more of those kind of classic pulp horror characters. And I, I am really surprised that that came through for me. And I enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. It's a fun, gross, gory ride. It has a lot of things going on in it. It has, finally, the ideas coalesce with the gruesome visceral kills. And again, this is Kramer's, this is Tobin Bell's movie. This is Kramer's movie. And supported by Shawnee Smith, who I think is also wonderful here. Pay close attention to how someone takes a franchise that was running out of juice, and it doesn't just, this isn't redeeming it for future sequels. This is sending a jolt of electricity through the entire thing. I am actually excited now to go back and watch movies one through nine just to see how what's revealed and and discovered in this movie bleeds out to the rest. Because I think because of the that interconnected nature that, that felt like we were getting little pieces of something instead of a full meal each time may actually have a positive effect every time you've got an entry like this that expands what the series can be. But color me completely uh, like shocked that I'm giving this an eight and that this movie, that a Saw film, has the opportunity to end up on my top 10 of the year. That, that is not a slight on the rest if you're a fan, but understand this is a review from someone who wasn't a fan, who, who wasn't much impressed by any of the others and uh, really came out of this. Uh, and I think, let's put let's give the credit, finally Tobin Bell gets the respect he deserves for this series, for the work he's done in this series, and he gets a showcase, and he proves again that he is a good actor. And I I have been thinking through the entire series, you know, let's put these two characters front and center. Let's see how their twisted minds work. And guess what? It does work. So 8 out of 10 for me. I say this is a seed in theater if you can. This will be a great Halloween viewing. I think this right now is one of the more superior horror films that's in the theaters in terms of the big mainstream titles. There are a couple coming up that we're going to review in future episodes that I think, you know, that, that may be a little stronger. But if you want to see the big multiplex horror movie, go see Saw 10. Save The Exorcist for, for video. Okay, and now for the last review of this segment. I want to talk about a movie called Satanic 
Hispanics, which is one of those uh, subgenres that I typically get excited for, but very rarely love an entry in, which is the anthology horror movie. So in this case, the unifying factor within this horror anthology is that each of the shorts is directed by a Latinx filmmaker, and for the most part, the entire cast are also Latinx filmmakers. There are five total chapters to this. They are listed as chapter one, chapter two. I'm going to go very quickly through them, just at a base level, the title, the basic gist, and then we'll talk about how successful this is as an overall product and how the individual chapters are. So the first one, chapter one, is called The Traveler. It's written by Alejandro Mendez, and it's directed by Mike Mendez, and it involves the survivor of a mass killing in Texas taken into custody and then questioned. And the the majority of the wraparound is essentially Efren Ramirez, who you may remember as Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, sitting down and being interrogated by Greg Grunberg and Sonia Eddy, who are the two detectives who are questioning him. And as he tells this story, which has, interestingly enough, its own mythology and its own purpose, he ends up veering off into these other tales that illustrate the magical and the supernatural that exist around them. That leads into all the rest of the chapters. Chapter 2 is called Tambien Lovi. It's written and directed by Damien Rugna. You may remember that Rugna is the director of Terrified, not Terrifier, but Terrified, the Argentinian thriller from a few years back that I thought was extremely creepy, deals with the supernatural. So does this chapter that involves a sort of Rubik's Cube whiz who ends up using his math skills to create this sort of light and sound, for lack of a better word, it's almost like a spell. It's a ritual that involves light and sound in an effort to sort of summon a ghost in his house. And he ends up getting more than he bargained for in the process there. Chapter 3, El Vampiro, moves away from the dread of Chapter 2 and goes into comedy. It's directed by Eduardo Sanchez of the Blair Witch Project fame. And this one keeps it pretty light with the idea that a vampire who just wants one fun night out on Halloween forgets that this coincides with daylight savings time. And now he has to beat the sunrise home. Uh, Hemke Madeira plays the vampire and it's Patricia Velasquez plays his wife. It's very funny. It's poignant at times and it's pretty bloody in certain places as well. Chapter 4, Nahales, is written by Shadon Saul and Rainer Shima, and it's directed by G.D. Saul Guerrero, who also has a new segment in the, the most recent VHS film that came out. Here, she's telling a full car, deals with a man who is trying to get extracted from his hideout in the middle of Mexico, and a situation he's caught in the middle of a cartel issue, and but the danger that he finds himself in goes a completely different route when he's surrounded by these sort of, for lack of a better term, beast men who abscond with him further into the jungle and you get this very sort of complex folk horror that evolves there. Chapter 5, which is written by Lino K. Villa and directed by Alejandro Bruas, doesn't give you the title immediately up front. That's partly because the title itself is a little bit of a, uh, a film in-joke. Uh, but this one shows Jonah Ray, who, uh, Rodriguez, who you might know from, uh, there, he's been in a lot of movies, but he was also uh, Jonah Ray in the one of the more recent Mystery Science Theater 
iterations, the one that aired on Netflix. And he plays a guy who ends up in the crossfire of a demon that has already wiped out most of his friends and ends up going on a sort of sojourn to find a mystical weapon that might be able to destroy it. Uh, along the way, he even makes a mixtape called Kill You that is intended for the monster once he finds it. Chapter 6, San La Morte, ends up back with the Traveler and what's going on with him, the Traveler played by Ephraim Ramirez, and that closes the film out. So here's the deal. This is one of the few examples I can recently think of where every segment is good in its own way. Uh, these are all solid segments, the the four individual stories and then the wraparound pieces form a really uh this is one of the few anthology films where each chapter is legitimately interesting on its own and even if not everyone is a complete knockout everyone is works uh there are no real duds here the traveler and san la morte the two segments that bookend this and and inform the the pieces in between is surprisingly strong and one of the best segments in the movie, which is surprising because very rarely, uh, in most cases I can think of, even in the really good anthologies, is the wraparound one of the best. But this is a lot due to Ramirez, who really kind of holds our, our our attention. And even when it doesn't make a lot of sense how these stories relate to what he's talking about, uh, that part's maybe a little shaky. His story itself is so interesting that I would be involved in it and then sort of feel whiplash when I was whisked off to the next story. And the conclusion at chapter six is visually propulsive. It's energetic. It reminds you of uh, early Robert Rodriguez. And it ends the movie on such a high energy note that you walk out thinking about all the other adventures you could see this character, the Traveler, in. I predict a graphic novel will be on its way one of these days uh, following up on this character. The Nohole segment, directed by Guerrero, is one of the, the cases about this movie is that each segment, while good in its own right, uh, is almost so interesting that they could all be feature films. Now, usually, you'll hear me complain the opposite. I'll watch a movie and say, that should have been a short. This is a case where so, some of the overall satisfaction is dampened by the fact that these don't feel, they don't all feel like fully fleshed out. They feel so full that you'd happily watch a feature. That's not a horrible complaint to have. What it does mean is that Satanic Hispanics, ultimately, while it does work pretty well, it does leave you wanting more. I'm okay with that. Uh, but this Naholi's chapter particularly is so dense in its mythology that I'm not sure I entirely understood what was happening and wanted a little bit more to figure out all of particularly the supernatural implications of what was going on. The Vampiro segment is probably the one that's most complete. It's really funny, it's poignant, and uh, it doesn't really stick around too long and wear out its welcome. I thought it was pretty complete as is. The Chapter 2, that's the one that's directed by the, uh, the people who did Terrified, this one very much feels in line as a piece with Terrified. It has an existential horror. It's got some very creepy, unsettling moments. The dread is high in that chapter. And then Alejandro Bruez, who did One of the Dead, he's the one who brings the comedy, and he kind of brings the, the, the entire film to sort of a comedic standstill at one point when this when they, they find this uh, guy who can explain 
what the what weapon is needed to kill the monster and you're just not prepared for where that goes this is another one that had me thinking of rodriguez maybe a little bit of some kevin smith and some early uh buffy the vampire slayer that sort of thing it's got a great funny tone with a lot of really uh kind of fun splatter effects later on in the episode and then overall this really works what what is the weak point in this it's just that ultimately these individual chapters don't exactly coalesce so that it ends up on the really high tier of anthologies. I'm thinking of things like uh, Trick or Treat. I'm thinking of things like Creepshow, Quiedon, those those excellent uh, anthologies that all feel of a piece. They feel interconnected. This one doesn't, but that's partially because it's not so much held together by a theme, but it's meant to be a showcase for filmmakers that often don't get the opportunity to have a have a showcase and so this is sort of a, a variety platter for people who uh, may not be aware of these filmmakers for most of us horror fans who have seen these other movies already know what these people could do and want to see them take these ideas and expand on them that being said this if you grade this on the curve of a of an anthology series, it's pretty strong. I really enjoyed it. I'd watch it again. It's one I definitely would purchase. I'm going to give it an 8 because I, I think it ends up above most of the anthologies we see, even the ones that are pretty good, and it distinguishes itself. Every one of these uh, chapters I would gladly watch again, and I would love to see a sequel and a follow-up, particularly that follows that Traveler character uh, from the Mendez segment through, I think that if they do a sequel, what they should focus on is finding a way to unify those chapters a little bit more, and they might be able to pop from that middle, very good tier to the great tier. Uh, but as it stands, this is one of this is one of the more enjoyable horror films I saw in a theater this year. I don't know when all the rest of you will be able to see it. I hope it's soon. I think this one is really going to sort of uh, catch fire when it hits Shutter or something like that. And honestly, Shutter. Uh, I, I I think we're starting to run low on those VHS films. If you want an anthology series to pick up and produce, uh, Shudder, Hulu, whoever, look to Satanic Hispanics. Look to these filmmakers. They are doing great stuff. And again, the biggest complaint I have about this is that they need more time to flesh these stories out. Had this been a Hulu uh, series, not unlike, say, Into the Dark, where they had the time to make each of these a feature length, I think it would be an unqualified rave. But as it is, this is a very good anthology film in an area where we don't get a lot of very good ones. So an eight for me, uh, this is a high priority rental when it's available. If it is playing in a theater near you, I do recommend it. It's a lot of fun and it will be worth seeing on the big screen. There are some great creatures. There's some great gore. There's some really uh, fun and an inventive camera work and directing that goes into this this is this is one that's kind of for the most part firing on all the cylinders the only thing that's weak is in the context of an anthology that feels like it's cohesive it's not quite there it kind of feels like a assembled film festival and ultimately at the end of the day that's okay so eight out of ten for me and those are the three new movies we have reviews for stay tuned for our fall preview you'll probably hear some of these mentioned of course we hadn't seen them at the time that uh that we talk about them but this is the in theaters segment of Horror Movie Podcast. So stay tuned.
Hey, everyone. So for this segment, we're back to do something we did a couple months ago with our summer horror preview. And we're looking to preview some films that are coming out for the rest of the year. Horror films, horror TV shows um, or streaming series would probably be more accurate now and maybe some games and stuff as well. Um, but first, I want to introduce the co-host I have here with me. And first up uh, is Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, how's it going? I'm doing very well, uh, Trey. Doing great. Uh, happy that we're here talking about the fall. We finally arrived at the fall. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, fall season. And I'm excited to talk uh, horror movies and horror TV shows and possibly some video games. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I've also got uh, Victor Rodriguez here. Victor, how's it going? Hey, it's going okay. Uh, happy to be back. And I can't wait to talk about what's coming up with horror cinema. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff coming. Um, before we get too far in, I did want to do just a quick little um, thing that I'd put together. I know when we put together the Facebook group, I had a question in there for entry. I was thinking of it at the time as just something to you know, ask or to make sure we're getting like horror fans and things in there. But the question was, what is your favorite horror movie? But when I was looking through some of these answers, it was kind of surprising. So I wanted to just, uh, if it's okay with the two of you, just run through very quickly um, the tallies that we got for some of these answers. And I'm only going to mention really the ones that we got more than uh, one answer for. But uh, yeah, I was going to just run through that really quick. So, uh, first off here, we did have 56, uh, legitimate titles that were picked. Now <laughs> I know we've got a certain co-host here who was, I think you were just testing it for us, Nathan, and you'd put a, a joke answer on there. I'm not going to get into that, but also your buddy, <laughs> um, Steve Morgan, you got to get control of him. Cause he's over there putting Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Hey, it's a horror film, depending on your perspective. I mean, if you were on that trip, I mean, there's a scene in that Gene Wilder movie when he's screaming on that boat and his kids are going through and there's like that weird like light show. I mean, that's that's pretty creepy. Yeah, no, agreed. But the only other one I wanted to highlight was uh, our friend Mr. Watson just put, I've never seen a horror movie. So, <laughs> uh, but we had, um, I would say, 56 answers. Um to this that were that were movies and you know 19 of them got one vote but i want to just run down the ones that got two or more so for the ones that got two we had scream return of the living dead Shaun of the dead bride of frankenstein evil dead or the evil dead uh the shining a nightmare a Nightmare on Elm Street and Night of the Living Dead. So all of those got two votes. Um, and then when we get up here with three votes next, we had Alien. Hmm. With four votes, we had Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hmm. <laughs> that tracks for Victor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my personal favorite. Um, with six, we had The Exorcist. And with eight getting the most votes, um, you guys have any guesses of what it would be? And please let it not be terrifier. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it is uh, it's Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Yes, it's it's absolutely yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Um, 
but I thought that was interesting. It was way more spread out than I imagined it to be. I mean, 56 uh, people who responded and we had 31 different and I'm correct in movies. assuming that is Halloween 2007, the Rob song, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <Okay>. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm not too surprised by those answers, but uh, I am a little surprised that uh, The Exorcist still has such a strong following um, uh, yeah. amongst listeners, but more on that later. Yeah, yeah. So I just yeah, maybe after was, this yeah. year they'll hate it too. <laughs> like, yeah, just like Halloween, like yeah. listen, if they haven't hated it after the other sequels and prequels and everything else, like um, that's I don't a, know. That's what's an interesting franchise. I just got the 4K of The Exorcist, and I'm I haven't watched it in years. It's one of those movies. I think this bears out uh, along a lot of other horror fans. Uh, I love it. It's a great movie, but it's it's not a movie I feel the need to watch like regularly because it is it's a tough watch. It's a, it's a little heavy. It, every, it is. It is. I watch it every Halloween. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I do think that The Exorcist is the is one of it's at least, if not the one of the scariest sounding movies ever made. Like the mm-hmm. audio is just insanely frightening. Yeah. It's it. it that's a good point that the it's so visceral for so much of its running time like that even the stuff that is like the slow burner on it just puts you on at you know ill at ease like and then when it's really ramped up it's almost like it's just so intense it almost wears you out yeah yep but anyway i've uh i've diverted us here but i'll i basically it was nice to, to see bride yeah. of frankenstein is that the oldest movie on the list it seems like that might be the case yes yeah that was okay. um one second actually i thought it was but i don't know if that did well maybe there were single ones i don't know if anyone had nosferatu or anything like that on the no, no, I was just checking because I thought one of the other Universal Monster movies might be on there, but no. Hmm. But anyway, small sample size, but if you want to get in on the action over there, we have a pretty, I'd say a decently active Facebook group over there, and we have a lot of fun um, talking about different subjects. So, uh, and We're hoping to ramp that up for October, where we will have uh, encouraging everyone to regularly post like uh, what they're watching and what they think of what they're watching and stuff like that. So, which is always my favorite part. I think of when we get to you know, people do those 31 days of Halloween, it's always seeing what kind of movies people watch because I feel like every year I walk out with like a few recommendations that I didn't know about based on what people are watching. Yeah. And yeah. it's fun to watch stuff that you pretty much have no idea whether it's going to be good or not. But um, just, I like to introduce myself to new stuff mainly a lot of the time, but yeah. Okay, are you, uh, gentlemen, ready to get into the fall preview? Yeah, speaking of new stuff, yeah, let it. Absolutely. (laughs) So, first up here, and we're just going to go down, uh, do you guys want to go down the list of movies first, and then just kind of do the other things in their own sections, or where are you feeling? Yeah, let's let's start with movies. Yep. So, first up here on September 25th, which is, you know, soon as we're recording this, uh, coming to VOD is The Tower. And I believe this is a French movie, correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, either of you guys have anything on this one? No. No, yep. Yeah, uh, and 
as we go through these, there's a lot of movies on this list. Um, so which we, one is this? The Tower? The I Tower. So I couldn't find it on IMDb. I did find it on uh, Letterboxd. And it's uh, you might find it under La Tour. The on... Lockdown Tower? Is that the same thing? It, I don't who's know. Who's the director uh, for that? Guillaume... Nicolau? Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. The, the inhabitants of a tower wake up one morning to find that their building is shrouded in an opaque fog, obstructing doors and windows, a strange dark matter that devours anything that tries to pass through it. Yes. Hmm. Um, yeah, I have it listed here as the lockdown tower, but it's also the tower. Yeah. yeah. On, um, Just found it on IMDb as lockdown tower. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I couldn't find it on IMDb, but I did find it on the letterbox under the tower. But cool. interesting premise, but yeah, I'm interested. When does and so this is on VOD. So I that uh, that premise has happened a lot in films. You know, I think of the mist and things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, when you handle it correctly, it can be a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely. Yes. So next up, a day later on nine twenty six, coming to VOD, we have Megalomaniac, and. This is a uh, a Belgium horror film. We don't get a lot of those. Um, quick synopsis here is just Felix and Martha, the two offspring of legendary serial murderer, the Skinner of Mons, uh, grapple with the grotesque legacy bequeathed to them. So it sounds like it could be interesting, but I don't know if either of you guys have anything on that one. Uh, Bill and I were just talking about this when we were talking about stuff on, on Pan Galaxy and... Um, Bill is very interested in this one. Um, I, I am interested, but I, I'm, I'm curious on how it's approached because there are lots of, uh, when you get to the, the kind of serial killer and the legacy spreading to the kids, I feel like we've seen a lot of that before, but it also comes down to how it's done, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I am not too familiar with anything else that the, that, uh, these directors and writers have done. Uh, and in fact, this might be their, their first thing. I'm not seeing too much else. Uh, it looks like the director here did something in 2016 called the frozen eye, which I have not hmm. seen. I no. don't know if that was a, a feature length or a short film, but uh, Hey, I'm up for original voices and original ideas. So I'm curious about this one. Yeah, me too. Same. And it does have an 83% fresh. It's got about oh. the 20, 20 plus reviews. And uh, it looks like it looks like people have some uh, good things to say, particularly in terms of uh, it being visually disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Bill movie. Yeah. Always yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also in French. And I think uh, Bill speaks French. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, next up, we also have another pretty obscure one coming to uh, theaters, and that is Saul X <laughs> coming out on nine twenty nine. I'm not very. I've watched two films in the Saul franchise, so I'm not very well versed on them either. Are you, either of you? Or yes, um, I've seen them all, and uh, you know, my I, I used to have uh, Charlie Clauser, the composer, as my client when I was at. Uh, evolution in Hollywood. And, um, I'm a big fan of the music and, uh, I am usually not into the, the torture type 
horror stuff. Um, but I really like the Saw movies. <laughs> Not all of them, but most of them, I would say. I, I can't believe I haven't gotten tired of the concept. But um, I can't for, either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for those of you that have seen the last two, you know, Spiral and... Um, I did see that one. Jigsaw. Yeah. yeah, this is written by the same dude. So it's going to be in along those lines. And um, it's directed by Kevin Greutert, who did, uh, you know, he, he's an editor. Um, and I think this is his first directorial, uh, directorial effort. And uh, he edited The Strangers in 2008. So he knows a thing or two about editing a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, Saw series, I think I have seen almost all of them. I have liked None of them, but I came close on the first movie. Uh, in their defense, I will say, these got labeled with that torture, you know, which is clearly that is happening. But the first film, really, it, it, like, the poster was maybe the most explicit thing about that movie. The, you know, like, the where you see the foot sitting on the, on the, the poster is far more graphic than that, how that scene plays out in the film. Uh, there's a lot of kind of goofy editing and stuff in that movie, but a lot of that movie mostly works. There's some creepy scenes and stuff like that, but uh, man, you talk about taking a premise and stretching it like <laughs> as thin as you possibly can. You have to really be into that to the basic idea of this movie of watching people just trapped in like killer Rube Goldberg scenarios. But I still think at the end of the day, it's, you know, mainstream, it's identified this and hostile as sort of tortured form. But hey, when you've seen what these, when you have Bill recommending movies that actually look like that, you recognize these movies aren't, they're really in a different subset. They're not quite there. No, uh, I mean, I, I actually did like the first two hostile movies too. So yeah, they're, they're, they're movies that deal with that subject matter. And because I think mainstream audiences don't have a reference point. You know, they don't really belabor their torture as much as it's sort of a plot device in those films. Yeah. Yeah, they're no guinea pig movies. No, no. I mean, um, I've seen the hostile movies too. They're, they're, none of them are quite my, my... I haven't seen any of those movies, this ones you mentioned, uh, <laughs> I've Trey. Heard but yeah. <laughs> um, I have seen both of the hostile films and the Saw movies. They're not quite my, uh, my cup of tea, but hey, I, I can't figure out where in the chronology is this... Is this the most recent Saw in terms of story? Or, I mean, I didn't know Tobin Bell's back. I'm like, are you alive? And that's part of the appeal for me. Like, I really love his voice. Um, Tobin Bell, I think, was pretty unutilized until Saw came out. Um, He still is in everything not titled Saw. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I see him every once in a while now. Yeah, he'll pop up. He's he's kind of like a Robert England. He sort of just pops up and he's in the background. He's been in some bad movies um, here and there. but Well, you guys, Saw is almost 20 years old. That's crazy. 2004. 2004 Yeah, I remember seeing it. I think one of the problems right off the bat was people who took me to see it were like hey come see this movie nathan i had sort of written it off and they were like it's better than seven and that <laughs> was how i was introduced to the saw movie and it was not better than seven so i will leave it at that <laughs> it's like seven if you take out all the drama <laughs> and replace it with with hastily edited mtv scenes of Don, danny glover driving a car at different angles yeah but but um, you're right both both seven and saw share a certain grimy like pre-apocalyptic sort of 
urban decay type thing. Uh, yeah, they tie their murders into a uh, the the killer is mandated from on high, aka the voices in their own head, <laughs> to do something specific that lies outside of simply killing people. Yes. Yep. But to yeah. be fair to Seven, they didn't make 12 of those movies. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, Nathan, I'm looking here, and it says uh, Saul 10 will be both a direct sequel to the original Saul and a prequel to Saul 2. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if, that's, so it's if Saul, any of that makes sense. So 1.5. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So that's Saul 10, Saul X, however you want to say it. But uh, Next up on 929 as well, we have Nightmare, which is coming to Shudder and AMC+. And I want to read this for you guys because this seems pretty interesting on this um, uh, press material, like synopsis they put out. Uh, Mona and Robbie are a young couple in love. Robbie has just landed his dream job, and they've scored an amazing deal on a spacious, if run-down, flat. Never mind that it requires a bit of renovation. Never mind that the neighbors constantly fight, and they're screaming baby. Never mind that Mona is suddenly plagued by night terrors, which grow more intense every time she falls asleep. <laughs> Robbie is eager to start a family, despite Mona's hesitation. Eventually, Mona's issues spiral dangerously out of control as she becomes convinced that she is being attacked by a mythical demon, the mayor, intent on possessing her unborn child. Hmm. So we've seen a lot of that lately. Um, I think we've talked about this. I don't know if we did in our summer preview, but um, interesting, interesting concept. We've seen a lot of that concept lately, but uh, I love that they they have this demon called the mayor that is here. And I think it's probably one of those you know, is this real? Is this not movies? But didn't know if you guys had any takes on that one. Right. It's a Norwegian film. So we are going to get some Nordic horror. Um, I, and I, there, there's a review on the last episode that I did for a movie that just came out, just missed this list by the time we're recording it, but a fall film. Uh, We're seeing a lot of movies that are taking us back to possession, taking us back to like, demons and that sort of thing but with the caveat or the wrinkle that we're trying to see them through the perspective of other cultures and i think that maybe the babadook was one of those movies that re that reignited that you know this idea of this very singular what the, you see that title and you're like what the heck is that and there are movies that have done that well i guess my my new criteria for this is i really want to see them delve into uh, whether you're making your mythical monster up or if it really is something that exists in the zeitgeist or in the mythology of, of whatever your culture is, I really want to see them lean into that more. You know, I yeah. lately I've seen some movies with some very interesting ideas that are culturally not what I'm used to, but then the film they exist in is very much a traditional, there's the demon in the darkness um, mm-hmm. and Everything else about the movie is exactly the way you would expect it to be, and they don't lean into that mythology or lean into the folklore. Uh, the flip side of that is movies like Under, uh, was it, um, what was it, Under the Veil or Under the... Under the Shadow. Thank you. Under yeah. the Shadow. A movie like that, I thought, was an excellent use of a folkloric entity of a very real time and place and culture that I personally don't have as much exposure to. Uh, 2015, I think, had a movie called Demon, 
that dealt with a divot yes. at a wedding. Yeah. Uh, those movies are fascinating to me because they immerse you in the culture first and then involve you in the in the the monster or whatever the myth is. His house did something similar. Yeah. I hope it's more like that, but I've been seeing a lot lately that are almost your standard demon movie. Just throw new fangled creature in that ex- acts exactly the same. Well, you know, yeah, when you read that, uh, it actually reminded me of another movie you turned me on to, Trey, uh, well, earlier this year, I think, Wesera, um, the Bone Woman. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. That's yep. exactly the one that popped into my mind, too, because it deals with that uh, uh, pregnancy horror again. There's sort been of so much pregnancy horror this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess a lot of, uh, of soon-to-be mothers are a little concerned about yeah giving birth yeah but I, that's a good parallel victor is Sarah the bone woman um, yeah different mythology but yeah similar concept yep so uh, and if you haven't got enough of the pregnancy horror on the same day what? uh coming to <laughs> vod is deliver us which is about a woman a nun <laughs> a nun who is claiming immaculate conception and um the Vatican is are sending priests because of a prophecy that a woman would give birth more that a woman would give birth to twins, uh, both the Messiah and the Antichrist. So, oh. <laughs> how Jungian? Yeah, I thought my sibling ties were strained. <laughs> uh, you guys, this is the number one movie that I'm looking forward to in the coming season. Yeah, I I'm curious about it as well, Victor. Um, did, have you seen a trailer for this or anything? Nothing. I have not. I've seen nothing. I know just what you you read to me, and that I'm I'm honestly getting um, I'm reaching my fatigue level with the demons again, as you probably just figured out. But this does sound interesting. Like this sounds uh, like it's slightly different. But there's a part of me that was kind of hoping it was going to be a horror comedy. <laughs> just being called deliver us <laughs> and involving her giving birth to both the antichrist. And like, I think this could be, I think this is ripe for that sort a of good thing. sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. The, the title is, does lend itself is sort of Leslie Nielsen esque or, or at least what we do in the shadows. esque. Yeah. Yeah. And you thought the odd couple were at odds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no repossessed though, as far as titles go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. um, where is that? Is that going to be? Theaters? That's going to be on VOD. Oh, yeah. cool! Yeah, yep. I'll definitely see it. Yep, that's soon. We don't have long from when we're recording here, but okay. Um, next up, we have another Hulu original, which I feel like they've been putting out horror films pretty regularly this year, um, at least for their standards, and that is Appendage coming on October second. And Appendage is, uh, after hitting a breaking point, Hannah's inner thoughts physicalize into a monstrous creature that threatens to upend her life. So, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's hit or miss a lot of these Hulu <laughs> originals. Yeah, um, Millennial anxieties as monster are, are like sort of taking over, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got to think who's making the movies now. <laughs> Fair. It's a good point. It's, yep. it's, a, it's an anxious time to be alive. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so next up we have, oh man, this could be, uh, 
this one could be very bad. And that is the uh, the jester coming to VOD mm. on 10 three. And this poster looks. It doesn't look great. Um, and this is a Dread Central original, which I think we've all I don't know if we all had, but I know I've had at least my ups and downs with Dread Central mm. stuff. Um, so I don't know if this one's coming to Screenbox or anything, but I know it's at least going VOD. Um, either of you interested in this one? No. No. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I, yeah. This is this is what I'm I'm looking at the posters over. This is absolutely gonna I'm gonna need to have at least six people I trust tell me this is one of the best movies of the year yeah, before same. I even bothered attempting same. it. I, I mean, yeah, I do try to keep an open mind, um, but I, I, yeah, I'm gonna need some people, some soldiers to to take the front lines <laughs> right. on this and see if it's any good. One thing I, I will say about this that is sort of intriguing is that it's set at Halloween. Yes. I just yeah, saw yeah. that line. Torment the inhabitants of the small town on Halloween night. I'm pretty sure I've never seen a movie where that's been like, Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> but, but you, I am a sucker for the Halloween night thing. So, but you know, I know we all have our traditions of what we watch yeah. like around Halloween, but it's nice to cycle at least one new movie in there every year, at least for me. And I agree. And, uh, yeah. You know, it, it could have value there perhaps if, if some of you <laughs> write that it's good. Yeah. So uh, Victor wants you to go out there and follow another grenade for him and to let him know <laughs> if this, no, <laughs> no, Victor, I think there are, great. Yeah, there are plenty of people in our community that I feel like go out there and see almost every new release. So yeah, um, keep your ears peeled on that one. But uh, well, could I interest could I interest you in one called uh, Creepy Crawly or the One Hundred coming out the same day, Wait. October third, on VOD? <laughs> those those two titles seem very far <laughs> apart from each other. I, Creepy Crawly gives me the vibe that this was the original. Like we're going to put a working title on this thing. Um, this is a Thai film uh-huh. and the tagline is who possesses who, which is, you know, <laughs> um, that's all right. Uh, a quarantine hotel where overseas travelers stay in isolation to curb the spread of a contagious virus. But they, I don't know if that makes any sense. Anyway, uh, they soon become prey to a strange breed of a 100 plus legged monster. (laughs) So the poster, the cover poster for this has that thing on the front of it and it's wild looking. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That is just a giant pile of arms and stuff sticking out of it. It looks wild. Interesting. Uh, Okay. Maybe I'll see it. (laughs) Um, again you get that yes it that's yeah i'm in it's a monster movie i mean uh i I watched a whole movie about a killer refrigerator i think that was a thai film so you know did did you watch the lake that was that thai film right oh that was a giant monster now see oh yeah we had differing opinions on that yeah i didn't like that one. no i didn't like it either okay okay. make you reminding me of that movie now maybe i won't (laughs) but they also the medium is also a thai film right yeah yeah well so the monster special effects movies don't always go over, but it's October no. 3rd. Well, go USA is releasing it. So uh, uh, you can which, get on digital and Blu-ray. Yeah. And you can't say I, every time I see well, go, I like hesitate, but then they also put out a lot of, they do it nice just job. international. Just, they're yeah. very, they cover a wide swath. So you're basically yeah. getting everything that's relatively new uh, coming from overseas that they can get their hands on. They usually do. Yes. Yep. Okay, on ten six, uh, probably the you know you thought creepy crawly was a bad title. 
uh, coming wide to theaters, The Exorcist Believer. I guys, I'm not a fan of that of that title. I don't know how the two of you feel, but mm-hmm. uh, this one is. I don't know how to feel on this one. I'm not I'm keeping the lowest expectations on this and maybe hopefully it'll be good. I don't know about you two, but I don't know if I've seen anything to convince me on this one yet. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I definitely don't, <laughs> I'm not going to run out and see this. Uh, I think that the exorcist is probably the last movie that needs a sequel right now, but, um, mm-hmm. I like the fact that, People are still into, I mean, I, I think I just wish, I was a really big fan of the TV show. And me too, me too. Yeah, I kind of wish the cosmic energy had gone in that direction to give it a few more seasons rather than another feature. But uh, maybe, you know, maybe there'll be enough in there to make it worthwhile. I don't know. I mean, I think Exorcist 3 is a really good movie. Um, and... Obviously, the first one's a masterpiece, but I just don't think anybody can make a film like that anymore. Yeah. No, and, and, and a lot of what was probably needed to be said, because that is the thing about The Exorcist, is it was a movie uh, that was both very visceral and about ideas, you know. Um, yeah. And most possession films since then, not all of them, but the good ones are about ideas, and the rest sort of recycle the tropes. My concern with that trailer is it looks a lot like recycling the tropes. And I guess my issue with this is we've recently got into this feeling and maybe stuff like Saw is a part of that where the what we have is so thin. But then we it like you watch each new movie almost just to see how can it possibly tie to the movie before it. And I think we have saw that happen with the Star Wars films where. Uh, it all has to be intricately tied together. So whoever watches a new one knows we absolutely watched the last movie because it's all about the Skywalkers. It's all about this. Like the exorcist seems to me, you know, they've, the exorcist three was cool because we had this cop character who we did not know and who wasn't really a part of, he was only tangentially a part of this universe, but he gets tied into the Damien Kara story. So we see it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. That's why that worked. But otherwise, if you're going to do The Exorcist, why don't we lean into the stuff about the priests or or, or where these demons go after this? I, I don't necessarily want to see a movie where we see, you know, uh, Ellen Burstyn back kind of now she seems to be conducting the exorcism or whatever. Like, I mm-hmm. don't necessarily I wasn't I'm not so intrigued in these characters and their continuing story that I want to see a new exorcist movie deal with that. I think conceptually is good enough for me. Yep, I, I, I'm with you. Um, I I would have loved to have seen a new Exorcist movie set in Iraq where Pazuzu fights the local holy men, uh, local Muslim holy men. Um, yeah, something like that. Take Explore the world you've set up and, and give us new characters. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance the... Um the townspeople take the possessed person and carry them off to like some kind of trash compactor or shredder or something at the end of this movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> I there's, don't know. But there's um, always a chance. There's yeah, <laughs> the, the things I'm seeing. Here's what I'm. Here's what we see a lot is this: the familiarity breeds contempt. We people who want to see this love the other movie. So yeah, I, I'm ready for more. But usually, when when more is just for the sake of more, it's never going to be as witty or as smart or as unsettling as this first few trips down the thing. And I mean, I even have a little bit of a fondness for um, the Paul Schrader version of, uh, I think it was called Dominion. That was the fourth exorcist. Oh yeah. yeah. Not a great film, but another movie about ideas. And, uh, but I just don't see that here. I don't see that seeming to be a part of the construction of this movie based on what I have seen in the trailers. Yeah. And again, I'm going to wait. I will go into this. um, I'll see it for the podcast, but I probably wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. I'll go into this blank slate and give it a fair shake. But um, yeah. Okay, guys. uh, Speaking of sequels to big franchises on um, the same day, October 6th, we have Pet Cemetery Bloodlines on Paramount Plus. (sighs) And this is a prequel going back to 1969 about Judd Crandall. And um, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of the 2019 remake and I just don't know about this. I mean, if it's done well, it's fine. Um, But the fact that they're putting it straight out to Paramount plus, I just don't know. Um, Yeah, I really, it's one of my favorite, Stephen King books. It's very, very disturbing. Uh, the original Pet Cemetery book I'm talking about. Uh, worth reading, um, but it's a rough read. And I like both of the movies, both of the Pet Cemetery movies equally. Um, one of those weird people. I think they both have strengths and weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we need a prequel. Uh, I, I think Judd, Judd's a great character as a supporting character, but I don't know if we need him to carry a movie. Yes. Um, so I'm skeptical about this, but I know that uh, David Duchovny's in it. So. There's my reasoning. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, otherwise you could probably copy and paste my comments about every every sequel or movie here with this idea of you're just, I don't, I'm tired of things constantly trying to demystify or drill down into the smallest, minutest corners when things were intended just to give a sense of mystery, right? Like Judd, re- Judd relates why his experiences with the Pet Cemetery in the in the book, right, and in the films. And so mm-hmm. we have that. We don't really need to go back here. But David Duchovny, Pam Greer, Henry Thomas, I like all those people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We don't need it, but maybe maybe we'll be surprised. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. I think it's odd to focus on. Judd's character that's such like a like a studio boardroom decision I feel like like there yeah. there's so many interesting places you could go with this that have nothing to do even with the original characters and that just seems well forced. the one story that has never been fully fleshed out and I'm not saying we need it but like if you're going to point to me a place that's interesting let's go back to the Micmac uh you know tribes there, yeah. and the battle with the Windigo and stuff like that yeah like, what about that, that? Yeah, yeah, because that's yeah. that's all in the book, and yeah. it's pretty bombastic, and that hasn't made it into any of the movies yet. No, there was a there were some mild suggestions of it in the in the last film, but yeah, very mild, minor. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you mentioned Wendigo, and I'm I'm all in. I don't care 
how big or small the budget is, but yeah. Yeah. There's a, by the way, there's a pretty cool story by owl going back. Um, that is a Wendigo story in, uh, this anthology that I'm reading called American cannibal. Um, but oh, I, re- cool. yeah, I recommend the book. It's, it's got, uh, not every story is a super hit, but you know, a lot of them are pretty good. So I recommend it. Uh, okay, guys, 10-6 is seemingly never ending. We've got another one here on Shudder, and I'm assuming AMC Plus as well, with VHS 85. Um, I don't know how many movies I have to watch in the VHS franchise before <laughs> I learn my lesson. One more. I, I'm a fan. One more. Of, just one, one more. more. Just one more. That's it. This is going to be the one. No, no, I liked, um, what was it, 1994 they did, and I've liked segments in some of the other VHS movies, but... Um, I don't know. I think felt like 99 was like one of the biggest letdowns after 94 um, that I had seen. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but yeah, same. It's another one of those franchises. When I look at it, I just hear uh, what was the Billy Bob Thornton character from uh, Sling Blade? It ain't got no gas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> look, at, right. look across the board on some of these. It's like you guys, you're on, you're running on fumes. Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, I when it's just VHS with a couple of new numbers next to it, and yeah. uh, however, I looked up the directors on this of the segments, and yes. it's a hit parade. It's Scott Derrickson, you know, who did the Black okay. Phone. Yeah, David Bruckner, who did the, the Night mm-hmm. House. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natasha Kermani, who did Lucky. Um, yeah, which I, I liked. That's... Um, Mike P. Nelson. This is not not the guy from Mystery Science Theater, but the guy who did Wrong Turn in 2021. Okay. And Gigi Saul Guerrero that, from Satanic I'm, Hispanics. Yeah. Okay. So I am I was just trying to look up the directors, Victor, so you beat me to it, and I'm glad you did because I'm a fan of all of those movies that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, now, I think it is, it's probably, and Bruckner, I believe, was involved in the first one, I think. Maybe he did a segment in the very first. Mm-hmm. He might have. Bro- um, I will say, you know, that's the one thing about um, the anthologies is you always maybe have a chance, particularly when you're getting different directors, because the, they're only ever as good as their segments. And there have been some where there have been a lot of great segments. There was one where uh, the segments weren't terrific, but then there's that one that dealt with like the death cult uh, from the guys that made the raid. And yes. it was like an apocalypse cult, rather. And that like redeemed that entire, you know, whichever VHS that was, maybe part two. I don't remember any of those other segments, but I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, same here. So, yeah. um, but the flip side is, you know, there are ones where Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead did a segment in one, and I couldn't tell you what theirs was about now. Um, <laughs> and uh, the guys who did um, one of my favorite movies from last year, uh, uh, Death Walk, what is it? Death, what was it? Dead, Deadstream. Uh, oh, the yeah. Deadstream oh, yeah. had a segment in there, and it was like, all the energy I saw in the other movie wasn't present <laughs> here. So, yeah. But, oh, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead, Victor. Uh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, the, I mean, the first movie I think is definitely worth tracking down. I really like yeah. it. I own it on DVD, ironically, because VHS, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. I mean, it's great. I just, except for the segment that Nathan mentioned in any of the sequels, which I think I've seen them all, um, haven't really measured up to it. You weren't a Ratma fan? Uh, oh, that's with the creature, the rat god yeah, down in the yeah, sewers. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, thought, it's a lot of vomit. 
Yeah, there was a lot of vomit. It was interesting premise, um, but Ratma, like I was like, <laughs> why, why? You know, why is it called that? Like, <laughs> right? Like this isn't this isn't a George Lucas movie or a Goosebumps. Why is it called Ratma? <laughs> right? Yeah, the, the 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 naming convention was weird, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. No, I I think honestly the only the difference with this one though is like those directors you named they've all kind of done decently well known films and usually with this VHS stuff you're seeing directors who I mean most of the time you're seeing directors who have you know their feature catalog yeah. mostly maybe ahead maybe of them. They're pulling out all the stops for the eighties. What yeah. I will say because a couple of the directors you mentioned also have done segments for a. Uh, an anthology that's out there and will probably be hitting streaming soon. Satanic Hispanics. That's the one to mm-hmm. check out. I, can, I can't speak to this VHS cause I haven't seen it, but I have seen Satanic Hispanics and that's, that's a solid anthology movie. I liked every segment and one of the few examples where the wraparound was one of the best stories. Yeah. And also had Gigi Saul Guerrero in it, correct? It did. And you mentioned how Mike Nelson from mystery science theater was not involved in this movie, but Jonah Ray Rodriguez, yeah. who who was the last on the last uh, Mystery Science Theater or the one before it, the one that Netflix had, he right. is in Satanic Hispanics. So. Yeah, Jonah Ray's great. No, yeah. no relation, but no, <laughs> good, good point. Yeah, thanks for clearing that up. I'm a fan, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, next up in a in limited theaters, and I'm assuming a lot of these limited theaters i mean we've seen things like slother house and cobweb get releases like two weeks later on vod um so keep that in mind as you go through a lot of these limited releases have been coming out pretty quick um this one's called the royal hotel and this is an australian film and the synopsis on this one is and this seems much more like that um thriller type movie but uh, after running out of money while backpacking in a tiny male dominated town in the australian outback Two friends resort to, resort to working holiday at the Royal Hotel. When the locals' behavior starts crossing the line, the girls find themselves trapped in an unnerving situation that grows rapidly out of their control. Wow. I think a pretty familiar setup, but and it's just going to be all about the execution. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, well, I, I got a lot to say about that. Uh, like, I think Australia has been coming on really strong. Um, I, you know, I just saw this, I just rented this movie called Beaten to Death, which... Oh wow! I don't That's know if it's evocative. Yeah, I don't know if it, it's an it's an appropriate title. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate to say, um, it's it's a grueling movie. Uh, it, I guess it's horror because the violence is just so extreme. But it's there's really no supernatural elements. Um, but the way you described uh, the Royal Hotel reminds me of Wake and Fright, which is I just saw awesome the trailer movie. for this movie the other night and. Wake and Fright is exactly the movie that popped into my mind. It's almost like, and, and then the, here the female characters are central to it, but it looks like it could be almost like an update on Wake and Fright. Like yeah, trailer, yeah. Uh, but it's di- directed by Kitty Green, who did The Assistant. I um, like that, yeah. Which was awesome, yeah. Really, it's not, not horror uh, per uh, se. Well, um, <laughs> if you worked in that office, it would be horror. Yeah, it's, it's sort of real life horror. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, it also starred... Um, Julia Garner, um, who is Australian, yeah. and uh, most of you listening probably know her as the their favorite character in Ozark, because um, she has a pretty good yeah. Ozark accent. 
um, going on, but uh, she really is Australian and she's, she plays it with, with a total American accent in the assistant and um, she's fantastic. I think you were the person who turned me on to that movie too. I think you had it one of your best of lists uh, the year it came out, the assistant. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, yeah. I think it was you, somebody, somebody on family galaxy suggested and I watched it. Uh, yeah, but this wasn't looks, me. Yeah. This looks good. Hugo weaving's in it. It's got a, a strong cast. Uh, and it definitely, it, uh, yeah. The wake and fright seems like a reasonable uh, comparison. I definitely think thriller, like, like a uh, realistic, uh, and socially relevant thriller is probably what it is, as opposed to maybe a full bore horror film. But it looks really yeah. good. I think it's probably going to be in the tradition of a lot of those Australian movies we've yeah. seen recently that are pretty brutal, but a lot of them are thrillers. So oh I, yeah, yeah. When you watch a movie like The Proposition, does it matter that you think it's a western and not a horror no, film? I'm no, not, no. I'm not right. certain. No, the Aussies have been pretty, uh, pretty. Intense. Yeah, I mean, brutal, it's a dangerous yeah. place to live. <laughs> yeah it's it's not as dangerous as these movies would have us believe I mean, no probably not i spent a lot of time in australia and uh it's nice but <laughs> but yeah from the movies like from mad max on <laughs> I, oh even the kids movies it's like yeah. it's just like child and wall to wall child endangerment <laughs> yes it does seem like a dangerous place Next up is one that's gotten some buzz, and Victor, maybe this is the one you throw in your rotation um, for your Halloween set movie. Um, that is Totally Killer, coming to Amazon on ten six. Um, that should be Amazon Prime, Prime Video. Um, the synopsis for this is: thirty five years after the shocking murders of three teens, an infamous killer returns on Halloween night to claim a fourth victim. When seventeen year old Jamie comes face to face. With the masked maniac, she accidentally time travels back to 1987. Forced to navigate the unfamiliar culture, Jamie teams up with her teenage mother to take down the psycho once and for all. Now, that I reading that synopsis, I get shades of two movies, and that is uh, Happy Death Day and um, Final Girls. The Final mm-hmm. Girls. Um, this is a horror comedy. I'm I'm looking forward to this. This is Blumhouse. Um, don't know how you two are, and obviously it depends on how the movie is, but. Um, I'm pretty pretty psyched about this one. Yeah. Also, Kiernan Shipka is in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sabrina, the uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will definitely see it on Prime because I have Prime. But um, I would I would be a little hesitant to to go see it in a theater. Uh, but I'll I'll definitely give it a shot. Sounds like a horror comedy, but. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got that vibe all over it. And hap- those Happy Death Day, Freaky, Final Girls, uh, it seems like it fits within that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in 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 that group of films, I will say, hearing this, and I know it's not related, but I do remember years ago reading. I I want to be- say it was a um, a Dean Koontz novel that. Uh, involved a guy who made you know he he went one way when he should have gone another way years and years ago and then there was this serial killer that kind of kept uh permeating everything throughout his life and then he gets an opportunity where he gives he's kind of back in that time frame of the 80s or whenever it happened and he has the opportunity on halloween night to like go the other direction i don't remember what the name of the 
book was. But uh, I think time travel, if it's not handled arbitrary, it could be kind of cool because the other movie that probably, given the comedy part, we're probably not thinking of um, is the sci-fi uh, frequency. You know, now there was no real time travel in frequency, but there was a, you know, there was a sort of mechanism or magical realist mechanism of being able to talk across the radio to your your dad. Right. Uh, and when he was younger and, and help him solve this case involving the serial killer. So uh, I do like time travel movies when they kind of play around with horror. So I'm, I'll, I'll be in uh, to try it at least. Yeah, cool. We'll report back on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up on the same day as the last one for October 6th is uh, Vindicta. We're still and, on October 6th. <laughs> yes. Well, everyone had to, yeah. you know, it's kind of a shame everyone's getting out of the, well, I don't know about this, but the Exorcist at least got out of the way of the Taylor Swift concert on Friday yeah. the 13th. I don't know who who let that happen. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, so Vindicta, uh, this is, and I, I'm going to need you guys to look at the poster and look at Jeremy Piven and Sean Astin in this, but um, <laughs> it's a sight to behold, but uh, when a city is terrorized by a sadistic serial killer, a seasoned detective and a newly recruited paramedic discover the key to stopping the bloodshed lies in unlocking the truth to their own haunted past. So I, I like That's the setup. terrible cover yeah. art. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. I like the uh, the setup, but yeah, I don't I don't have high expectations. This is coming from Sean McNamara, who has directed, you know, the acclaimed director who's directed sequels to both the Casper movie and the Three Ninjas movies. Mm-hmm. Um, what is he, that Jeremy Piven? What happened? That is Jeremy Piven. <laughs> I mean, I, this is not a comment the on AI the weight game or Jeremy anything, Piven. but it looks like it looks like a picture of him after a bar fight or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a very weird image. And Sean Astin, I can't put my finger on it. He's reminding me of someone and a different actor, and I can't, can't think of it, but he does not look like Sean Astin. Hmm. Well, um, yeah, I guess for, for those of you that saw Stranger Things and miss his character from that show might find this movie appealing because I, I think he's he's either the cop or the emergency. He's a cop, I believe. I see a badge, I think. Okay. I yeah, it's the premise is it's a cop and a and an EMT yeah. guy team up to uh, fight the serial killer. Yeah, yep. Interesting, so. yeah. I mean... Yeah. I, I like their previous work. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see on that we'll one. We'll... <laughs> I think that's the best I can say. But... I'm, I'm a little surprised Nicholas Cage is in this. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is, is I don't know if that would raise or lower the quality, uh, the no, ex- anticipated no quality of it. <laughs> I, I, I've seen trailers for a few new movies and Nicholas Cage is going to be in this year. I think he, he was right to choose those other films. But <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move to Friday the 13th here. First up on VOD is Dark Harvest, the movie that's been bumped a few times. This is the David Slade-directed film um, about, and this is also set on Halloween, which it's, I think we're getting a lot more of these Halloween-set films. Now, I don't know about the quality of the new ones, but um, it's it looks like, Born a Halloween 1963, Sawtooth Jack, a terrifying legend, rises from the cornfields, threatening the town's children. A group of boys unite to defeat the murderous scarecrow before midnight. Hmm. And I, I love that premise. Um, hmm. I, I kind of, 
I mean, I don't love the poster, but um, and David Slate really hasn't done anything terrible in the past. I think my only hesitation, and we might have talked about this, Nathan, is just how many times this film's been bumped and moved and changed around. Yeah, and it's based off of a book uh, with the same name, Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge, uh, which came out in 20, 2006. And it's actually a very fun book, a very fun like kind of Halloween story. It does have a sort of scarecrow monster at the heart of it, um, but there's this, there's an interesting kind of storyline that follows what the people in this town how they've come to deal with the fact that there's this reoccurring evil, you know, uh, sometimes that's interesting. Uh, the trailer, but I think having it pushed back so many times to the point where people started to wonder if there even was a movie to release, you know, I yeah. think Greg uh, Bench and I were talking about this last year and he reminded me that this was still out there somewhere. So I saw the trailer and I think, you know, I remember something similar happened to trick or treat uh, the Michael Doherty film. Uh, where it was on the poise to be released and then it wasn't and then it wasn't and years ago by and then suddenly it just dumped to like dvd uh hmm. because i think vod wasn't quite a thing at that point um in 2009 it, 2006 is when people were talking about it, 2009 now the difference there is when it hit video it turned out to be just as good as we hoped it would be mm-hmm. the trailer for dark harvest doesn't have me as optimistic yeah that's too bad well, I, I do like the director. Uh, I, I, 30 Days of Night really goes hard, uh, and I love it for that. So, and so it does hard candy. Yeah, and hard candy. Yeah. For, it goes hard in a different way. But um, but yeah, yeah, so if he brings that sensibility to this movie, I'm probably going to like it. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, like a Halloween movie based off of a book that was a lot of fun with a good director and a reasonable cast, like, I'm all in if it works. I just hope that it, you know, it works. Yeah. yeah. This is my type of story with a group of kids, you know, I mean, against yeah. a scarecrow. I mean, that sounds like, yeah, that's, it's right up my alley, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But, um, also on October 13th coming to limited theaters is dear David. And this is actually done by Buzzfeed studios. And uh, the synopsis here is shortly after comic artist Adam responds to internet trolls, he begins experiencing sleep paralysis while an empty rocking chair moves in the corner of his apartment. As he chronicles increasingly malevolent occurrences in a series of tweets, Adam begins to believe he is being haunted by the ghost of a dead child named David. So this is another one where I like the premise, but the poster has me second guessing what this is even going to be, but um, but this is the director of Anna in the Apocalypse, hmm. which I thought was a very fun movie. This seems like a very different style of movie. Yeah, I saw the trailer for this just the other day before um, it it lives inside, and the uh, the trailer didn't do well for me. But there were a couple elements of it where I thought, "Hey, this could be interesting." So um, yeah, I I uh, I give it a shot. Yeah. I'm impressed it had a trailer in theaters. That already raises the expectations <laughs> that I had. But Okay, uh, same day on Netflix, I believe, we have uh, The Conference. And this is a Swedish horror film. And it says thriller horror comedy. But uh, synopsis is a team-building conference for municipal employees which turns into a nightmare when accusations of corruption begin to circulate and plague the work environment 
At the same time, a mysterious figure begins murdering the participants. Hmm. So I wonder how much comedy will be in mixed in with the <laughs> horror thriller. Because it seems like it could go either way, you know, well, based on that premise. But Yeah, Swedish comedy can be very dry. Mm. Yes, but... I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Um, and that is Netflix. So that one's going to be pretty easy to to get to at least. But awesome. Yeah, yep. that, I, I might be into this. Yeah, there's another one. The pictures, the only photos I see of this have someone wearing one another one of those giant like cartoon heads, kind of like the Happy <laughs> Death Day, but it's bleeding from the eye sockets. Oh, <laughs> oh no! So I like um, it. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Uh, still on October 13th on, uh, coming to VOD, we have 15 cameras. And in this one, uh, when Cam and Sky bought their duplex, it seemed like the perfect investment opportunity for the young couple. A starter home, a mortgage offset by renters, and even a guest room for Sky's sister. But as Sky and Cam slowly uncover hidden cameras and secrets of the duplex's previous owner, Obsession consumes their marriage, and they both fall into destructive forms of voyeurism. So, yeah, I think... I would, I don't know. We've seen a decent amount of horror films in modern times take on voyeurism and um, hidden cameras and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what you guys think of this. One. I don't even see a poster for this on Letterboxd. So. The, the most intriguing thing about this is that just like what happens in real life with trauma often um, the couple end up committing crimes of voyeurism at some point in the movie. That's sort of intriguing to me, although I hope there's more to the movie than that, but Mm -hmm. uh, it, it does sound like a decent um, device to use a found footage film you know the 15 cameras it's like oh you you know they buy a new duplex and what do you know there's a hidden camera and then here's another one and um (laughs) that's uh yeah i mean that's an inexpensive idea um and uh if it's executed well i think it could be very entertaining yeah yeah and i think what's potentially cool there is if it is the found footage then you can play with the idea of who's put the cameras up and who's you right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can construct the story in an interesting way and give us perspectives because if eventually the couple gets in on it, then there's a question of whose camera are we looking at and stuff like that. So I think, I think if you really lean into it uh, as a found footage, that could be very cool. The flip side is it totally sounds like a nineties, like Skinamax movie, but I'm guessing that's not what we're getting. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, no, but it's written by PJ McCabe, um, who wrote the beta test um, a few years ago. It's oh, I did see that. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's a thriller. Yeah. It's not really a horror movie, but it's it's a cool concept about a, an agent that gets <laughs> yeah sort of roped into it. One. Yeah, yeah. So it it could be good. And last but well, maybe I don't know if it's going to be released or not. But um, on ten thirteen, we have coming to VOD in the fire, and. Uh, in this one, a young couple, a couple with a young autistic son, have to face both the villagers and the local priest who worry the boy is possessed by demonic forces and is the reason for all the villagers' woes. So, Nathan, if we hadn't mentioned demons in a while, there you go. No, good. I was starting to worry. <laughs> I wouldn't have a demon movie to watch one of these weekends. <laughs> yeah. 
but I, I don't have anything else on that one. I don't know if you guys do, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I just want to mention, uh, I recently finished Gemma files book, uh, experimental film, and it is very much, it's a horror book. Um, and it's, it's about an experimental film that harms people, but it's also about, uh, a mother with a slight case of autism, raising a child with a major case of autism. Uh, and, that part was very interesting. Now, I don't know if they ever make a movie out of it. Um, I don't know if a lot of those things can really be communicated in film, but it works really well in a novel. So if those themes interest you, I highly recommend you pick it up. Experimental Film by Gemma Files. I'd love to check that out. That sounds, um... Oh, it's also, it's also an expose of the Toronto film industry. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, solid. We can always count on you for some good uh, recommendations <laughs> on that front, Victor. I read a lot. You do. Yep. And then if you want to watch this movie, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Book first, movie, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And to be uh, fair, this this movie is not an adaptation of that book. No, no. no. It, it has nothing to do with it. No. But. All right. Um, on 1020, we only have one uh, release, and that is limited theaters. It is Malibu Horror Story. And the interesting thing about this one is, Nathan, I see uh, our friend Amanda Lee here has already seen it and has given it three out of five stars on Letterboxd. Hey. So that's not bad, especially for Amanda's rating system, I feel like, where she's a bit tougher than I am, at least. But yeah, this is um, uh, Terror Strikes when a team of paranormal investigators search a secret cave for clues and the unsolved disappearance of four local teens. So... I don't know. Pretty interesting premise, but I think this played at some film festivals and like almost a year ago, actually. So it's been, it's been floating around there for a bit. I do remember men talking about this one. So I, um, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Cool. All right. Moving on to 1027 and Nathan, you've got, um, kids right five nights at freddy's coming oh out gosh. wide yes <laughs> they are like ridiculously excited for this like honestly this is like their movie event of the year uh <laughs> i've seen the trailer i don't think it looks particularly great yeah. but i mean uh, but it's it's caught their it's captured their like attention and it's like typically you know my kids see horror movies and they go to school and most of their friends aren't interested but everybody's interested in this so yeah they've determined that i guess um this is coming to paramount plus i think or or, or apple it's coming wide yeah but it's but it's coming it to one coming. of the streaming services like for free i think um, oh is it i believe so uh keep my fingers crossed <laughs> because uh that's probably what's going to happen is it's going to be a, a halloween party for a bunch of kids here at the bartleball house <laughs> watching five nights at freddy's um so that's a universal blumhouse film maybe it's maybe it, we it, it maybe it's peacock or something i'm not sure which uh uh but you know i am very curious to watch this with my kids because this is one where i don't have a lot of context for it i've played the video game with them a couple of times yeah. i saw the uh nicholas cage movie willie's wonderland which was kind of like yeah. a mm -hmm. super cheap version of that um but I'm very interested to watch this from their perspective, this movie that's basically like a game. And they're really, Five Nights at Freddy's has some of that same thing 
the liminal spaces are big now, right? In video games and in like, yeah. uh, particularly in like VR. And the other night I made the mistake of picking up, uh, Johnny had his VR helmet out and I put it on and he had a game on there and it had, it had recreated the back rooms. And mm-hmm. I was like running through there. And after about 15 minutes, I shut it off. I'm like, okay, there's so many beige <laughs> walls with shadowy things running behind you that I can think before I'm freaking out. <laughs> yeah. I- I don't know. This is one of those with me. I play a lot of games and Five Nights at Freddy's is in the same concept as something like Roblox or Minecraft or uh, Fortnite, which I watch yourself, Trey. I know are huge. (laughs) Yeah, I know are huge, but um, I have no frame of reference for almost (laughs) any of it. Uh, But I think it's a cool I think in general, Five Nights at Freddy's is a cool concept, but I feel like they've done like 15 games in that franchise at this point. And uh, I think it could be done well. Um, I do. I'm just, I don't have a whole lot of background on this one. And I think we've all known since the first time we saw those Chuck E. Cheese, like dancing, <laughs> animatronic bears, yeah. what a horrible idea that was in terms of children's entertainment. But mm-hmm. I guess the, you know, what I'm interested in is this will be a case of me kind of allowing my kids to 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 bring me into their horror world a little bit. So I kind of like that, that you've got something that is, you know, I I pay attention to a lot of stuff, but it's just it's just kind of a um, a blind spot for me. And they're really into it. And my son said to, to me and my wife, I have an hour and a half video I want you to watch about the lore. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how I sound like to other people. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> it is. <laughs> No, I don't even get that far in my conversations with my <laughs> wife, Nathan. It's just, <laughs> but no. Um, so I will pencil that in as your kid's number one horror film of the year. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm, cu- I'm very curious about that one. Cause I, I do think those animatronic singing, you know, horror object like, yeah. i don't know what to yeah. say this is not my movie but i'm yeah. glad that we are making and i see a lot more of it happening uh this is a good example of a legit pg-13 horror movie aimed at like uh, a gateway horror film right um mm-hmm. and i'm seeing more of those where we for a while there i think the pg-13 was getting a bad rap because what was happening is people were trying to make r-rated horror films and then uh diluting them to make them a pg-13 so they could sell more tickets. I think what we're seeing now is people taking, you know, stories that would maybe be a goosebumps episode or uh, are you afraid of the dark and, and, and goosing them and making them a little bit more fearsome just enough. So they have a legitimate PG 13 horror movie. It's a legitimate gateway yeah. movie. That's how we get more people into this genre. That's how we get more people interested in it, making movies yep. down the road. You have to, you have to throw the, these people a bone once in a while. <laughs> Yep, yeah. it's that, and it's Slaughter House. There's the yes. <laughs> pushing the way to the future. Yeah, it's weird how in the 80s, it was the R rating that would put asses in the seats yeah, yeah. Uh, on, you know, for horror movies, and now it's PG-13. Um, that's, yeah. Uh, I wonder why. <laughs> Probably easier to get into those seats in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. Victor, if you're not uh, of age, but... Yeah, that's true. Well, and drive-ins were more of a thing. I think that's, that's the part true. we yep. forget. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, next up is a Netflix film, and that is Sister Death. This is a 
Uh, we were talking a little bit about this, I think, before we recorded, but uh, Paco Plaza directing this one from Wreck Fame. Um, this is a prequel, I believe, to Veronica from 2017, 2018. <laughs> Isn't that one of those movies where Netflix announced it's the scariest movie you'll ever see? And then yes. people started winging out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say that people, about your movies, guys. People passed out and vomited all over the theaters. Yeah. Um, it, but this uh, setup here is in post-Civil War Spain. Uh, Narcisa, a novice, arrives at an old convent converted into a girl's school to become a teacher. Wow. A Spanish film set around the Civil War involving a convent. Uh, haven't seen that one before. But I don't know. I'm kind of excited for this one, guys. Um, mm-hmm. I liked Veronica, and um, I, it doesn't seem like this has, you know, it's not a direct tie-in, like they're forcing a sequel to it. So I'm pretty excited about Sister Death. I just found out about this one a couple days ago, I feel like. but Yeah, I'm on board. I'd yeah, to me it. too. Yep. Okay, so here's a very interesting one. Um Suitable Flesh is yeah. coming to VOD <laughs> on 1027. And this stars Heather Graham and Barbara Crampton. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Joe Lynch, who mm-hmm. did Mayhem. And what else did Joe do? Uh, um, that might be it. That might be it of the big stuff. Um, but anyway. Oh, he did. Uh, I think he did Everly, right? That action action thriller. Oh, yeah. you. I think you're right. Um, But anyway, this is. uh, I'm kind of excited about this one. (laughs) I don't know about you two, but. Oh, um, so excited. After murdering her young patient, a once esteemed psychiatrist helplessly watches her life spiral into a nightmarish maelstrom of supernatural hysteria and gruesome deaths, all linked to a seemingly unstoppable ancient curse. Yeah, it's an amazing poster. This has the best poster by far that cast is great um yeah. and you've got uh you've got a lot of other people there too including uh and jonah ray is in this too oh. <laughs> and uh bruce davison and of course you mentioned Bra- uh barbara crampton but i think um yeah i would be into this because uh joe lynch he did do mayhem everly he also did a movie i had a lot more potential i think uh than it maybe ended up uh, utilizing, which was Knights of Bad Astum that had Larkers mm, fighting right. an actual yeah, like demon. Yeah, it was, it was a fun. I, I, I kind of felt like it ended up, I think it was intended to be more, and then they probably budget issues and things ended up with. It didn't quite reach the heights they were going for. But I like him. He's got a lot of energy. The trailer for this looks fun. It looks weird. It looks original. That's, you know. Yeah. Well, this this is based on the Lovecraft story. It's based on the thing on the doorstep, which, which is a um, creepy story. Yeah, really creepy story. Um, you know, Lovecraft was a pretty famous asexual um, type, which is probably why the there are no women in his stories. But there is a woman character <laughs> in the thing on the doorstep, um, and she's not good. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I do, it's a great story. I mean, for, for what it's worth. And I think this cast is going to really bring it up to date with, um, the thing that one of the things that Lovecraft fear, which is women, (laughs) a lot of women in it. Yeah. And if you're 
like me and think, you know, I love Heather Graham, but it is a certain point where I feel like she hasn't quite, uh, you know, she never got like a showcase really in a lot of ways, uh, you know, uh, you'd see her in Boogie Nights and like that, but there's never, there's not really like a Heather Graham movie yeah. that I can think of, like where she's the star. Uh, she is like, looks like she's in almost every frame in this movie and she is chewing the scenery like nobody's business and it is glorious to watch just in the trailer alone. Like, I'm like, I'm getting Stuart Gordon vibes watching this trailer. Oh, I love it. So is, yeah, this, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This just jumped to my top of my uh, top of my must see for yeah. this this year. Yeah, it's one of my favorites on this list as well. But. Uh, next, we have a Shutter original, and that is When Evil Lurks, also coming out on the 27th. I like now, all these Uncle... really specific titles that yeah. could be mistaken for anything else. Yeah, <laughs> it lives inside. <laughs> when Evil Lurks. Yeah. Um, anyway, I want to see something like you know when darkness takes a crap or something like that. You know? <laughs> um, so buckle in for this synopsis here. And this is an Argentinian and Uruguay co-production, which I believe the last matinee was that as well, right? Yeah, I like that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so these, <laughs> the tagline here is "There's no point in praying." And the synopsis is, in a remote village, two brothers find a demon-infected man just about to give birth to evil itself. They decide to get rid of the man, but merely succeed in helping him to deliver the inferno. (laughs) I'm all about that. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I don't know. I'm all in for this one. This one sounds insane. Yeah, could be good. So this has its own... I was reading about this recently. There's a mythology within this world where where, where a possessed being is called a rotten so these people go around looking for the rottens to to sort them out so they don't spread the infection the the possession the demonic infection throughout like society yeah i mean i don't know i'm into it yeah all right next up is one i don't know if you two will be excited about at all but it is uh coming to shutter as well on October 30th, and this is the only one I could find that's releasing around Halloween, um, at least within the the couple days there. And that is Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. And how many how many subtitles <laughs> is that? Listen, there's only one colon in this. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I hope it ends with part one or something like that. <laughs> well, I can't figure out if this is. Um, I think it's it's I think it's supposed to be its own set of stories um, diving into like what happened. But I that's that's not the most interesting part of Hell House. I like all three of the Hell House movies, but I don't like them because I want to see what happened originally or anything. I like them because of, you know, they're kind of dealing with the hauntings and kind of figuring out what went on as they go along. Like, I don't. I don't necessarily care about what's happening in the moment of those hauntings. I like the aftermath, but yeah, um, yeah I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I like the last two movies. I'd, I'd see some, but yeah, we had, there needs to be some moratorium on throwing the word origins into your title. Oh, not, origins it wasn't the cool the first time it happened. <laughs> no, it's not cool and now either. And video games were littered with that at some yeah. point. There were like almost every other one in a series was origins or you know, revelations or something. It's all the same. 
and <laughs> it needs to stop. But mm. yeah. Um, getting into November, and I don't have very many left here on my list. Um, coming to limited is Project Z on November third. I'm and, not sure I even know what this is. Yeah, so this is a comedy horror, um, and it is Norwegian. So it seems like we've got a lot of international horror films coming out here in the last part of the year, but yeah. Um, so the synopsis of this is a group of film students take three unemployed actors to an abandoned motel in the Norwegian mountains to make a zombie film. Fiction suddenly becomes reality when an unknown creature begins to terrorize the film set. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sensing some dead snow vibes here could be maybe i'm premature on that but could be interesting my mind first went to one cut of the dead but we already yeah. have that remade elsewhere yeah and year. yeah i saw that finally came to vod by the way oh good uh, i want to see that the new uh, the final cut. yeah the yeah. michelle yeah. has yeah. yes i'm excited for that but yeah uh next up also in limited and again hopefully limited i feel like i have a hard time getting to around here um, so hopefully, you know, they come to VOD sooner rather than later, but this one is called dream scenario coming out on eleven ten, and this is, um, an a 24 film, which I don't think I realized, um, it says a schlubby professor who never made it becomes an overnight celebrity after appearing in every, you know what guys, I don't know if this is a horror movie. So I could, I could, I could grab this one for you. This is yeah, what I, I said earlier. The Nicolas Cage had picked a couple of other movies that looked maybe more interesting than what we have mm-hmm. here. That's what this is. Uh, I I do see that when you look it up, it says comedy horror. But I watched the trailer the other day, and this seems firmly in the vein of like a Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or a Spike Jones slash Charlie Kaufman movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the concept's kind of interesting. It's People start seeing Nicolas Cage, but he's the slubby, like you said, the schlubby professor Nicolas Cage. This random dude is showing up in all these people's dreams, and they all start to realize they're seeing this same guy. He becomes like a minor celebrity. He doesn't know why it's happening. Uh, <laughs> and and my wife says, well, where's the point where he goes crazy and starts, like, you know, being crazy Cage and attacking people in their dreams? And there's an element at the end of the trailer to sort of cut a bunch of scenes that look like that might happen. But it's clear that it's more of a metaphor about what happens when uh, someone who is very much a personal, uh, a, a person who really doesn't like to have a lot of attention thrust their way, suddenly finds themselves inexplicably in the middle of something, you know. And uh, at first it's great, and then it's not so great. But if you like that quirky, weird, sort of lighthearted, sci-fi, mind-bending stuff that Charlie Kaufman does, that's what Dream Scenario looks like. Yeah. Okay. It's got a decent cast. Um, I just didn't know if it was a horror film or not reading that synopsis. The trailer did not like there's a, again, yeah. I think there's a, an editor somewhere was like, we've got to, we've got to give him a shot. Now there is a scene where Nicholas Cage is sort of jokingly. He has like the, he's got the Freddy Krueger glove on his hand, like wiggling the fingers around. But uh, <laughs> that's clearly in context. He's just kind of, you know, he's doing what a normal guy would do. Look what I can do. You know, it's not, yeah. not like he's like attacking people. I, 
I love his look in that movie. I'm looking at some. Yeah, <laughs> some it, honestly, look. these are the kinds of movies, along with a movie like Pig from a few years ago. These are the kinds mm-hmm. of movies, uh, Mandy, that I want to see Nicolas Cage make, where he kind of belongs because the in the energy and the intelligence and the creativity are matching the weird stuff he brings to the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah both of those movies are great. Yeah. Um, movie no one in this one. I don't think there's a question whether this is horror on November 17th coming wide to theaters is Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. Um, the movie based on a trailer and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I watched the trailer for this one in it. Um, I don't know. I, Eli Roth isn't necessarily, um, someone who I love all of his movies or anything, but, uh, I don't know. I'll wait and see. I think I'll wait and see what people think of it before rushing to get it to it. But I, I, I am more or less an Eli Roth fan. Uh, I really liked Hostel too. Um, I thought that the 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 rich versus poor angle is so creepy in that movie that it. I think it enhances the entire horror experience. I've never seen it done so well, um, but uh, I I did like Green Inferno, and when this trailer was shown at the Grindhouse um, Festival, <laughs> those two movies, uh, it really was striking, and um, I don't think we have enough horror movies set at Thanksgiving, so I'm kind of surprised they waited this long to make that trailer into a movie when the others came yeah. earlier. Yeah, and you know, the one thing I'll say about this is, without any commentary on Roth right now, is the trailer from Grindhouse was really its own thing. All of them, all of them were machete, machete and everything else. So it was meant to look like an old Grindhouse, like 80s, you know, cheapoid horror film. Right. This movie, while it's still called Thanksgiving, and maybe will feature, I don't know how it's going to feature some of the things that are in that trailer, but like, the... <laughs> the overall feel of the film that they're advertising looks to me like just sort of a modern slasher derived from screen, possibly, you know, there's nothing in that trailer that says that says to me, it really looks like it's inspired by the horror films of the eighties, the way that the, the grindhouse trailer was, if that makes sense. Like it doesn't necessarily look like a bad movie, but I don't know that it looks like the movie people wanted back in 2006. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, the horror looks pretty extreme, just judging from the Grindhouse trailer. And I think if Eli Roth is smart, all he is going to do is connect the dots of the trailer and make and fill it in with a movie. And right. I think he's he's going to have something memorable. But but see, they know, have a new trailer. Have you seen the new trailer, Victor? I have not seen it yet. Yeah, that one's playing yeah. in in the theaters, and that one looks like a almost like a generic uh, horror film. Maybe it won't yeah. be, but it looks like it's been made to just look like a modern uh, slasher. Maybe there's going to be a few cool kills, but it doesn't have the wildness of that weird trailer. Well, you know, I hope that's the marketing department yeah. going, yeah, the screen movies are pretty popular, so let's make our movie look like that, and maybe that will sell tickets. Uh, but I, I, I hope that... Um, Roth is up to his usual <laughs> over-the-top antics. <laughs> I am, I, yeah, I don't know how you make that movie based off that trailer and not get at least some of that craziness. But I'm just yeah. commenting that for a movie, it, it's weird to make that movie when 
the reason you're making it is to cash in on all those people that wanted to see it, you know, 15 years ago. Right. And then pitch it to a totally different demographic. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, guys. But um, yeah, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know it was coming at all until just recently. So yeah. what do we have to lose? Yep. <laughs> uh, that same day coming to Limited is Do Not Disturb. And <sighs> I don't know anything about title. this. I'm just going off of the titles. I just as the lack of... look at the poster. You got to yeah. look at the poster. Yeah. Um, but this one says uh, Chloe and Jack travel to Miami for their honeymoon amidst the flashy neon and slummy. Sorry, <laughs> amidst the fa- flashy neon and sunny beaches, uh, they decide that a peyote experience will strengthen their marriage. Unbeknownst to them. They've been given a rare and powerful strand that awakens a desire to eat human flesh. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Wait a minute. I think that is another do not disturb. Uh, I think the, are we talking about a different one here? Yeah. I think that one came out in 2022 and the one that's about to come out is do not disturb also, he's known a bellhop, as, right? Yeah, I, oh, I see it here. Uh, it's Turkish. Yeah. Okay, so that one's coming, and this looks like it's more like a comedy. Like, oh, so no, so maybe maybe you're 100 right. Yeah. Let me see. I'm trying to double check. The one we have that we're looking at is not a horror, as far as I can tell. The, yeah, the one about the peyote has only played at festivals so far, so I'm assuming that's the one we're talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you're right. You're right. It's yep. it's the John Ainsley. No, you're all good because I was like, oh crap, did I get that wrong? Nope. But carry on. Okay, so yeah, don't know uh, anything about that one, but you know, sounds interesting at least. Um, and the last one I have on my list, and then I'll open it up if you guys have any more films anyway is one called Raging Grace, which is coming out on uh, December 8th to limited theaters. And this one is... Yeah, I had to check because it does have uh, Tagalog spoken language here, but it is um, an English film. And it's an undocumented Filipina immigrant lands a job as a care worker for a seemingly terminal old man, securing a better life for her and her daughter but a dark discovery threatens to destroy everything she strived for and holds dear. Very cool. Yeah. It's directed by Paris Zarcia and uh, it won the best debut at South by Southwest. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to expect in this one. Cause Victor, because listen to these, uh, the genre tags that letterboxd have mystery, comedy, thriller, drama, horror. They've covered <laughs> all the, the bases. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, apparently yes. that's what Zarcia is known for is genre combining. Mashups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean I'm here for that, but um yeah. Okay, did you guys have any others that I missed here um as far as horror movies coming out? No. I, okay. I'm surprised there aren't more well maybe not that surprised, but I, I guess we're we're also getting to that point where obviously what's happening is uh, due to the strike and everything, you're not seeing as many bigger movies at the end of the year, you know? Yeah. And I think it calms down usually, but I think a lot of that too, Nathan, is a lot of these movies, um, the release dates announced like 
within a month or a little bit more from the release date. So I think as we get through October, um, that's maybe true. We'll we do have a lot. Oh, if you got a small indie horror film, and I know there are some that I've seen uh, at festivals that probably be rolling out this year. Um, yeah. With a couple that have it, some of them already have talked to me and stuff like that. Have obviously already come out, and uh, oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I think there's none that I can think of right off the top of my head. A major one that yeah. we're really missing or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, and I know. Speaking of that, I mean, like Dark Harvest and Sister Death. I think just within the last couple of weeks, we found out about that those were coming. So, mm-hmm. um, could be anything. But did did we cover Talk to Me on the show? Yes. I, yeah, that we might, did. That, huh? that, that may have been when I was when I had COVID because I no, don't remember. We, you reviewed it with us. Oh, um, okay, good. <laughs> did we release like that yet? No, it's on the one that I finished, but um, okay. it's not yet. Did I like it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I liked it. Yeah. No, I think you were on. Weren't you? I, I, was I, Victor on there? I'm trying to remember now. Maybe it was just you and me. You and I. Like, I don't. It's possible. I'll look back. I thought we reviewed it. I mean, I've got the. We did uh, review yeah. it. And I think. I think we all reviewed yeah, it. Yeah, we did review it because it I just put it all together. Um, it was when we did the Friedkin. Uh, when we. Oh, oh yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. We reviewed it that, that night because. Um, yeah, no, it was a good review because we were all solid on it, but we were talking about like the yeah the perspective of it and like how it was done and what made it work yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, we just reviewed a bunch of random stuff after the freaking thing. I remember like yeah. uh, subspecies five and all that, but yeah. Oh yeah, but yeah, another example of Australia coming on <laughs> strong. Yes. Yep. Good year. Okay, guys, uh, you want to talk about some horror TV here coming up, and I'm going to be lean on you guys for most of this, but sure. um, I'll go down my list. If you guys have any more, I'm sure there's got to be more, um, but if you guys have any more, let me know afterwards. But um, American Horror Story Delicate, here's your part one, Nathan. <laughs> American Horror Story Delicate, part one. Mm. Um, and that debuted on September 20th on FX, I believe, and probably it's on Hulu, but... Um, either of you guys watching that one or checking it out? I just saw it last night. Um, the first episode, I wanted to check it out. Uh, we are back in the world of sort of pregnancy horror. Uh, Emma Roberts is in it. Is you know she's the lead character. Kim Kardashian is in it as well. Um, it's it's playing with some interesting things. The first episode, uh, like most of the other American horror stories has a lot of kind of strange imagery uh, and some kind of off the wall ideas. But, you know, one of my issues that I've always sort of had with American horror story, this is just me personally, is that it deals with the themes or, or not even the themes. It deals with the tropes of horror, like the ideas, the things that horror movies often feature in them, but very rarely does it ever feel like actual horror or rather, the the way the stories are constructed, it doesn't feel like the people making American Horror Story, the Victor and I are talking about this, actually seem to uh, like horror as a genre. And so I know most of the seasons always seem to veer off into sort of what would be more like a dark or quirky dramas with the imagery that we associate with horror films. But uh, yeah, that this first episode has some great setup. Uh, but I'm just curious where it's going to go. Yeah. yeah. 
that's that's how I feel about it too. Like I, I really liked the first season of the show, the the Hell House or whatever it was called. Murder House or something Murder like House. that. Murder House. Yeah, I thought that was cool, although it went on a little long for my taste, but I thought that they were really trying to make it scary um, with some other elements mixed in. But as the seasons went on and the concept sounded really cool, so I kept tuning in to the first couple episodes, but uh, then I felt it was exactly what you just said. Like, Falchuk and Murphy, like they they did Nip Tuck, which is not a horror show. It's it's about you know, plastic surgery and it's a drama, but it's pretty good. It's I mean it's pretty good and uh, it's very gory for a drama. Um, so I think they brought a lot of that sensibility. So I think I think it's the gore that they really appreciate, not really the horror elements, uh, for the most part. Yeah, and I don't think I've watched one of these since the first season, but it just seems like these FX shows go on for decades. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Amber Roberts is a... I liked her in uh, Scream Queens yeah. um, a while back, but yeah. Yeah, Next so far it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, Nathan. No, I was I just saying, so far it's interesting. The production values are there. It's quirky and weird and... Uh, borderline comedic, but we'll see. This next one I'm very excited for, and that is um, Suburban Screams. Sorry, John Carpenter's Suburban Screams, which debuts Friday the 13th on October 13th on Peacock. And this is a six-part miniseries. And the synopsis I have here is an exploration of true tales of terror that took place in seemingly perfect American hometowns. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Hey, and I didn't know Carpenter was directing anything, so I'm pretty happy about that. I I, I list four directors here, so I don't know if he'll be directing um, all of the episodes, but he is at least directing one. So, um, yeah. Historically, I have enjoyed anthologies that John Carpenter is a part of, so I might like this. Um, And I think I... I think I listed this wrong. Sorry, I listed this one a little early, jumped the gun, but uh, we'll have to go back here a little bit. On 10-4, um, debuting on Sci-Fi, is Chucky Season 3. Now, Nathan, I know you're at least a fan of this. I don't know if you are too, Victor, but I haven't it seems to be seen pretty it. popular. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I've heard it's good. Um, yeah, I am a fan, and I was not expecting, honestly, to be into it. The The Child's Play series has been like all over the map. Uh Don Mancini's been involved in pretty much most of everything, you know, not related to the remake. And Chucky's reinvented himself a few times in, in different iterations. So when you get to the TV show, it's like, what else can you possibly do? And he had they had the challenge of introducing us to some new characters and a whole new storyline that we could follow. And then finding this way to thread every single other Chucky movie, minus the remake, into a world where all of that coexists. And remember, this is a series where at one point, you know, Jennifer Tilly was actually like taken over by the spirit of of like <laughs> Tiffany the doll. And right. now you have to find a way to tie all that together. And they've been doing an amazing job of it in the weirdest, strangest ways. So much so that last season there was an episode where the, the entire cast of Bound gets together to have a dinner party and Havoc is wreaked, where Jennifer Tilly is playing herself 
and Joe Pantaloni is there and Gina Gershon and everybody. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it goes, and that's just one example of an episode. They go wild places. They develop all of these people's characters, including uh, Chucky and, and Tiffany and the, their children and who are possessing human bodies now and bringing back every single character you could possibly think of, but doing it in this way where it's all threaded together and, it makes a sort of mad sense because some of those movies, you know, Child's Play 1 doesn't seem to exist in the same world as Bride of Chucky, right? And yet they find a way to make it feel cohesive and Fiona Dorif is in it and you've got everyone coming back uh, and, you know, uh, it's pretty impressive what they're doing. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing you'll ever see. It's definitely firmly in the horror comedy camp, but... um I like it a lot. It, it, every episode, it's like they're finding new, interesting things to do. Cool. Yeah, I need to get to that because I am a fan of most of the the Child's Play and Chucky movies. So, um, yeah, I, I've got to get to that. I know you um, have sang its praises before, Nathan, but you don't watch any TV that I recommend. So it's I, fine. Hey, I'm getting I'm getting <laughs> into it. I'm working on it. <laughs> got one coming up for you on screaming through the ages in a couple months, but we'll, uh, whenever I get out of the October stuff, but all right. Um, on that same day, uh, sci-fi is also running the second season of surreal estate. Have either of you looked into this? one? No, I've never heard yeah. of that. So Great, you would title. think I thought this was a, um, a comedy horror, but it's actually about, um, it's played straight from what I understand. I haven't seen the first season, but it's about, you know, a group of people who do the jobs that no one wants to. And that is take care of the haunted and possessed and, you know, the houses with a bad history. So that's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty interested in that one as well. But I never heard of it before looking this stuff up. Uh, on ten twelve on Netflix, we have the Mike Flanagan. I'm assuming it's a miniseries. Fall yes. in the House of Usher. Yeah. Yep, and that's what I'm very excited for. Nathan, you have gotten me to, to watch The Haunting of Hill House. Um, not Midnight Mass yet. Yeah, you got to get that. You got to do that. That's got to be an October <laughs> watch, I think, for me, I'm thinking. but Yeah, Midnight Mass is the, the jewel in the in the crown of Mike Flanagan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's one of the best horror things I've seen in a few years, I think. Yep. Um, but I'm excited for this one. I, it yeah, looks cool. I'm... Uh, I, I, I don't know everything that's going to try. And that's what I, you know, that's one of the things that makes me eager to see it, but I do like the way they're threading in all the different like Poe references. And it's not simply a house of usher sort of like redo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I mean, anyone, including myself who writes horror owes a debt to him because he's, as far as I know, the first, American to really take that upon himself to be known for that genre. And he inspired Lovecraft and Lovecraft inspired Stephen King and Stephen King inspired the rest of us. So yeah, he's uh, he's the man. Yeah. You could make that case with thriller and, and, and mystery detective stuff as well. In terms oh yeah. Murders in the room yeah. more. Cause the first yeah. detective mm -hmm. novel uh, or detective narrative written it's crazy about how influential, you know, how he really yeah. was. Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily just horror, but the macabre in yeah. general and that kind of, a lot of crimes took place in his, uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, um, I'm totally on board for this, and it's uh, starring uh, Carla Gugino, who's of, you know who did Gerald's game yes. with uh, <laughs> with Flanagan as well. Yep, gotta have his wife in there. Um, oh, it's his wife. I didn't know they were married. <laughs> yes, yeah, but uh, I, I don't wait, think that's a bad. Who? Uh, Carla Gugino. I, I is married to whom? Uh, oh, wait, do I have that backwards? No, Katie is Siegel it, um, is married. Katie to, Siegel. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry, okay. Katie Siegel. That's my bad. Oh. Well, not that either, which I love both of those yeah, and yeah. all of his stuff. So yeah. I'm not any nepotism at work there, but <laughs> I'm a Katie Siegel fan too. Yeah, no, I like both of them, but uh, next up is one that you probably have both seen. And I haven't uh creep show season four debuts okay. on Friday the 13th, October 13th uh, on shutter and AMC. Cool. Yeah. I, I like, I like, I don't like every episode, but um Every season, I've seen one or two episodes that I really enjoy. Yeah, I'd say that usually, like they they usually would pair like two of them together, and yeah. there's usually one that's like fine. But sometimes there will be, like you said, every season there's probably at least two or three that are a combination of solidly good to oh wow, I will watch that again. You know, yes. um, not the the hit rates better than a lot of other similar uh, shows. Of, of recent time I can think of in terms of anthologies where they're doing it like a week to week thing. Yeah. Um, but there was an episode of the first season, the house of the head that I thought yeah. was amazing. That was great. <laughs> and they did the, the um, was it like PBS of the dead or something? The, the, the episode where the Necronomicon is unleashed <laughs> on like, uh, yes. The, in Pittsburgh. Yes. That, yes. And, and there's like a Bob Ross stand in who has to do battle with the deadites. I thought that was amazing. That was genius. Yeah. So they have every, they're worth seeing for sure. And I think that what they managed to do is get the like vibe of creep show right enough that like, it just does feel uh, like creep show, you know, um, it, 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 it's not just like some kind of cheesy thing. That's like, you know, they take swings. They don't always hit everything, but they take some swings. Yeah. And I think uh, Greg Nicotero is one of the executive producers. So there's a lot of makeup effects on, on the series. Yeah, they do look pretty good in that. And they, they and they'll do weird things. They'll do an animated episode or they'll do, they did a very bizarre, like, holiday episode involving like a AA group for like monsters that were being threatened by a, like a robotic Santa that had been sent to destroy them all. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. Super weird. But yeah, the, so creep show is fun and I definitely think, um, yeah, yeah. They have what, maybe like five episodes, uh, a season usually, or in, and each one will usually be like a two parter and usually you'll get at least yes. one. That's kind of fun. Yeah, exactly. They're like 40, 40, 45 minutes long, and there's two stories per episode, like you said. Yeah, and uh, there's the one that was a season ender where I remember Justin Long had like a virtual reality machine where he was going <laughs> into the set of, uh, or into the actual film of Horror Express, <laughs> which <laughs> wow. is a weird yes. idea. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I love that movie. It's great. Yep. And they've recast, they, you actually have the footage, but they've recast certain roles, so you're watching him inside of horror express yes uh, nathan you know i'm i'm gonna i'm interested in a lot of these and i'm gonna try my very best to have a a top tv show list at the end of the year so that's my that's well, my goal a couple others that i do want to mention uh this would be again for people who have kids and we're just talking about justin long and 
horrible mm-hmm. things seem to happen to Justin Long when he's in movies and horror movies particularly. So maybe because this is on Disney Plus, we'll get a catch a break, but I don't know. Uh, the Goosebumps has another uh, series, mini series coming out, and it's going to come to Disney Plus. And it looks like it is a, uh, I don't know that it's an anthology in the sense that there are several stories, but I think it may take one story and kind of expand upon it. But it looks like a, uh, a horror story aimed at younger people and doesn't look like, it's not like the Goosebump films from a few years ago that were sort of like horror comedies, really like almost supernatural Jumanji, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. With Jack Black. Those movies are fun. This one looks like they're maybe trying to do one step up and make these, the, the younger characters are just a little bit older and the horror looks like it's maybe a little bit more like a mystery ghost haunting kind of story. So it looks like they're aiming maybe a little bit higher in terms of uh, and telling an actual horror story as opposed to sort of like a colorful story with a bunch of monsters in it. Um, yeah, I was curious about that because the the original Goosebumps um, and the books as well are very, um, very much aimed at a younger audience. Yeah. And I think so are the movies as well. So it was curious to I know some of uh, R.L. Stein's other stuff has been aimed at an older audience um this is still in within but, the audience that would be of the show of the tv shows but i think that it looks like they're trying to tell maybe a more cohesive story my comparison point would be anyone who did watch the last few are you afraid of the dark like mini series that they yeah. put out it looks like it'd be in the vein of that and if you told me that yeah, this was called that uh, are you afraid of the dark i would think that they would fit in perfectly with that so it looks very yeah. similar to that i think cool I'll definitely be checking that out. Nice. And, you know, speaking of horror, uh, the horror of Dolores Roach. I don't oh, know yeah. if we've covered that. Uh, we talked briefly about it on a previous episode. I think at that point you had only seen like an episode or something. Um, well, yeah, I finished them. And um, I can say that if you are into cannibal gore uh hang on till episode five because (laughs) they really let loose um some pretty indelible imagery (laughs) and and that they really embraced the horror at that point but um yeah uh the horror of dolores roach is uh a gender flipped sweeney todd Hmm. story um with a framing device that kind of sets it apart from the the original but uh, yeah, all-star cast, and it takes place in a, a Hispanic neighborhood of Brooklyn. Um, so it's got a lot of uh, a lot of that local color. So if you're if you're a listener in Brooklyn or Manhattan, you'll probably dig the the way they they portray the city. It's nice, and um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was cool. Not particularly scary, but a very involving story and great characters and wonderful cast. So, yep, recommended. Cool. Oh, it's on Prime. Oh, yeah, I couldn't know. Yep. And sorry, guys, you guys uh, jumped the gum here. I got a couple more. Oh, yeah. um, Nathan, I don't know if uh, have either of you guys heard of Shining Veil? Yes, I liked it. Uh, I saw it. Um, it was 2022, I think. Courtney Cox, right? Great yes. Premiere. Yep. And it's a, it seems like it's more of a comedy. But um, yeah, that's season two of that is starting on October 13th on Stars. Um, seems like I know the uh, synopsis had a quippy line about 
you know, she's trying to decide whether she's, um, what is it, uh, depressed or possessed, and it turns out the symptoms are very similar. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it was fun. Um, it wasn't like maybe amazing, but I did like it. It was fun. Yeah. Um, and the only other one I had here, and then Nathan, if you had any more, um, was just American Horror Stories season three, which I don't know what the difference is. It seems like there's a bunch of spinoffs at this point. That is uh, debuting on October 26th on FX. So the difference is, and this happened last night because it did my typical thing where I watched the first episode of the new show and then promptly like passed out and when woke up. <laughs> I was watching, I, I would wake up, see a little bit, and then fall back asleep. And I'm like, what am I watching? Like, is this like a greatest hits of American Horror? So American Horror Stories is actually an anthology where the episodes are, are standalone stories each time. Yeah. And I, yeah. what I do like about this is because of the standalone shows and they've kind of got to, to tell like a little bit of a story, a lot of times they're linked to things you've seen in other seasons, but they tend to be a little bit more horror-esque because they have to have that uh, opening hook and then they've got to have to drive into something kind of crazy and then wrap it up so that they don't have a lot, you know, the longer seasons end up with lots of episodes with quirky, uh, you know, offshoots here and there and they don't focus on the horror. This is a little bit closer to, to actual horror stories because they, they have only a little bit of time to tell to tell each one. Cool. But uh, yeah, that's about all I have. Do either of you have any more upcoming um, horror or horror adjacent shows you can think of? Uh, there are a couple coming out now because some of these are new, meaning they've not aired before. I Some of them, I don't know how much they are horror. One of those is uh, they've got a show coming up on one of the one of the big networks. I think it's on NBC. It's called Found. And it's um it's a procedural show. It's got Shanola Hampton plays a, a woman who they have a crisis firm that they're trying to find people who have been reported missing in the US, like all the people that kind of slid through the cracks. And she was a person who was kidnapped when she was younger. And uh she basically it looks like she finds and captures the person that was torturing her when she was younger who's played by mark paul gosselier from say by the bell and uh but then she's also kind of she she's picked him up to have him help her get in the minds of these other killers so it's that silence of the lambs thing but with this very personal sort of veneer of uh this person that was you know victimized returning to the the predator but sort of recruiting them for for other means so definitely has some silence of lambs vibes but the trailer i saw looked interesting cool oh cool um trying to think of what else uh, i guess it, it is enough gore it could be adjacent that they've got a spinoff of the boys coming called gen v oh yeah um, right yeah i think that's just about ready to to drop um uh the Walking Dead, I've kind of given up on The Walking Dead, but <laughs> oh, yeah. there are plenty of Walking Dead spinoffs out there. Daryl Dixon has his own Walking yeah. Dead spinoff, and of course, you've got the um, the one that has Negan and um, uh, oh, 
who is it? Um, you know, it's another Walking Dead. Is that dead, Fear so. of the Walking Dead? No, Fear of the Walking Dead is separate. This is the city. Is it maybe City of the Dead or something like that? I, okay, I have no idea. I uh-huh. didn't watch anything past the first season, so I'm yeah. lost on those as well. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, so um, there's plenty of that out there. I uh, not not into a lot of it, but um, at some point, I don't know when, I guess it's maybe still filming but we do have um isn't welcome to dairy supposed to drop uh no it's that... it's not going to be out this year okay, um, i think there year? are several because there's several of those i think like crystal lake was supposed to be out this year too. i don't think that's ever going to actually get released no i, I don't think i so know either. they're actually making welcome to dairy there's a difference there <laughs> yes there is a big difference yeah. there but let me make sure before we um and I knew I, one that was up. announced was they were doing a Wicker Man as well, and I don't know. If, uh... No, it's scheduled to release in uh, on Max in 2024. Oh, okay. All Welcome right. to Darius. So, oh, wow. yep, we're safe on that one. But um... well, yeah, I've I've been watching um, Shelter on Prime, which is a horror. I'm putting it in the horror adjacent category because it's kids. It's like high school kids dealing with adult badasses. So um, there's, it's basically, it's a mystery show. It's, it's a, pretty it's good a, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like pretty it. good. I, I'm a big fan of Harlan Coben now. Like I've, a lot of his stuff got adapted in the last couple of years and I've pretty much liked all the adaptations. Um, and uh, this is a kid who, after a traumatic accident moves um Back back into New Jersey, where there's legends of a, a creepy woman in a house, but there's some connection to his parents, one of whom is mentally traumatized, and the other is possibly dead, but um, he might be alive somewhere. So there, there's some kind of cover up, and the whole thing rests on a missing high school student girl that the main character likes. So, um, I think yeah, this would I'm, be I'm, up your alley, uh, uh, Trey. I think you would, yeah, I'm into this. it. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's horror for the kids, but not so much for the audience. It's more like a mystery show. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll make a note of that one for sure. But, uh, is that it on uh series? Yeah. I don't think I have anything else. Okay. Yeah, so. I've got a, um, couple of quick hitters here for horror games coming out. Um, and again, I'm very much like a, a single player uh, person here. So if there's any of the more multiplayer, which I don't think so. I don't think Killer Clowns is coming out until next year or anything like that. But um, uh, first up, I think all three of these you would be interested in in some way, Victor, hmm. um, because of the subject matter. Um, but first up, I have Alan Wake 2, which is coming out on October 27th. This is a sequel to the 2010 game. Um, about a horror writer who kind of gets uh, ends up in his own story and has to fight off um, various enemies using a flashlight. Um, now, the second one seems to be playing a bit different, but I'm very excited for this one as a fan of the original Alan Wake. Um, had either of you guys played that? The original no, Alan Wake? No, I haven't. I've, I've heard of it, okay. but... Yeah, it... Um, they have, they just released a newer version of it. I think a couple of years ago on modern consoles, but it's very much, it has that quirky, um, twin peaks town type stuff. And, you know, remedy is a, um, 
are they Norwegian? I think they're a Norwegian team. Um, so they have that kind of uh, European flavor to it as well. European Twin Peaks, but um, set in America, of course. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting game. And in uh, I think the the story and everything are cool. The gameplay doesn't necessarily hold up or gets repetitive a little bit, but it seems like Alan Wake 2, they're going all in on it. So that one seems really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quantum Air coming out on November 3rd is more of an indie game, but is about um, a future where AI has become this mandatory thing and the the government kind of decides, you know, who's essential and who's not essential. And this is uh, a team is sent in to investigate this fire and they end up um, stumbling into like a cosmic horror nightmare. Uh, so it has the, you know, the AI components, but also the cosmic horror and I don't know how you never know what the indie games, how they're going to play, but it seems like more of a shooter as well, but pretty interesting one. Cool. And then Victor, this might most be up your alley here. Um, Banisher's ghost of new Eden. Hmm. And this is done by, um, I'm blanking now. Um, anyway, uh, don't nod. This is done by don't nod. Uh, they did the series called life is strange as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one called Vampire, which was set, you know, in around this time period. But uh, this synopsis is uh, New Eden, 1695. Antia, Duarte and Red Mac Wraith are lovers and banishers, ghost hunters who vowed to protect the living from the threat of lingering ghost inspectors. Following a disastrous last mission, Antia is fatally wounded, becoming one of the spirits she loathes. In the haunted wilds of North America, the couple desperately searches for a way to liberate Antia from her new plight. Mm-hmm. So uh, that seems very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can play switch between same thing with Alan Wake. There's two characters you're switching between, but you're switching between the living and the dead in this one um, as you try to find a way to reunite, I guess. But cool. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. So that's all I could see for the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I didn't know if you guys had anything else on that section or not but um don't think so okay nathan your kids in any more liminal spaces or backrooms games that are coming out <laughs> heard something and then he was gone oh i'm sorry i thought i i oh. guess it was clicked off i don't know why but um <laughs> yeah so they're they're into those sorts of games they but they're they're more into like the roblox sort of versions of those games and there's so many different ones out there but like i was walking through spirit halloween store today and it's like now so much of the stuff has found its way into like the zeitgeist so all these costumes for these things i'm like i don't know what half of this is it's 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 (laughs) horror but it's like horror leached of any kind of like you talk about it being down to just like jump scares and uneasy feelings. You know, there's almost no like content. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But hey, that's, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think, you know, you'd have people believe that uh, everything is at like that skin marink level, but there's lots of like uh, stuff just being sort of uh, spewed out into the, into the general consciousness in terms of horror that, that appeal to people like my kids that, uh, that there are interesting and original and kind of creepy and are pushing at boundaries. 
Uh, it's just, it's always different than what the mainstream wants you to think it is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that about wraps up our end of the year preview here. I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, do we want to go into what we'll be doing up next for the show? Yeah, I think we can talk about at least uh, Halloween, like what we our October plans are for Halloween. Uh, we're going to have uh, a series of episodes. We basically tried to pick three different topics, and I will. Uh, we can let uh, everyone sort of let everyone know what the topics are. But we then each of us picked two movies under the guise of that topic. We tried to keep them. Uh, they were they're pretty high level topics, and then. We wanted to be able to have movies that we could recommend around the holiday starting and have an episode that would be out almost every week for October. So in October, we've got a few other things going on, but what we do have are three themed episodes. I will reveal the first one and you can reveal the others, you guys, if you want. Uh, the first of them, we decided to do an episode on witches. Uh, so what we threw out there was, hey, we're going to pick which movies. Each of us has picked two. I will save what those movies actually are for the episode. But we plan to also have just a brief discussion about uh, which is how they play into movies. And then also, I think we were looking at concepts, the mythological concepts and the social concepts of witches and how that has played out over the years and how our perception of of what a witch is has, differs, you know, depending on where we are in, in history. So that's going to be one episode. I will say that I think we picked some pretty interesting films to talk about. This won't be uh, routine. The, uh, although in our general discussion, we'll probably hit a lot of the movies everyone expects us to talk about. I think the movies we will talk about are a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah, off the beaten path. And I can say from the movies that you guys picked that I've watched, they are all excellent. And a couple of them I have not seen yet until last week do you want to tell uh tell everyone what our next uh our next episode will be after the the witches episode yes we are also covering the i guess theme of haunted places so yeah there are six movies coming to be reviewed by us same mentality we tried to pick ones that are little different um and uh, maybe ones that you haven't seen before but ones that we really really like and i can't wait to talk to you guys about this <laughs> yeah i'm really looking forward to this one and i think we we talked about also having a general discussion about haunted places in terms of yeah famous yep. but but real haunted places across uh you know really it could be across the world probably across the country would be yes. more of our perspective, but uh, and the movies again we've chosen, I think, are a little bit off of the beaten path, and really kind of examine that idea of what does a, what does a haunted place look like? So, mm -hmm. yep. And what was the third one, Trey? Yeah, so the third one we are going with movies set on or around Halloween, and I got to tell you. This one's filled with the movies we picked with a lot of cult classics, but I think pound for pound, this might be the the most heavy hitting top or the most heavy hitting topic with the movies that we picked. Because, yeah, this was just a joy to go back through and rewatch a lot of these movies. And um, yeah, I think and 
in line with the other ones, I don't know if we plan on talking about our Halloween experiences or Halloween in general, but um, I think that one's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what we have to look forward to coming up anyway. Um, do we want to throw out any uh, plugs or anything before we go? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, we can. you can find all of us at various places. You can find myself over at Phantom Galaxy, uh, Trey and Victor over there quite a bit. Uh, Bill and I are getting back into a, a groove of uh, episodes coming out for October. We're going to do something a little bit different because uh, both of us have separate horror shows so we'll probably do something a little bit outside of the realm of horror on phantom galaxy for october but but there'll be some crossover uh and yeah that's that's where you can find me all right uh i'm uh, it's always best to if you want to chat with me i'm at dime store caesar on twitter or x they call it now uh and uh, also on instagram same moniker and um yeah i uh, i post cat pics and sunsets and movie reviews. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I, yeah, I'm on a few podcasts uh, and I am, if, if you go, if you tune into either one of those feeds, uh, I always alert uh, what podcast episodes I'm on. So that's still the best way to get at me. Um, I'm also a writer. I wrote uh, The Sound of Fear not the most recent thing I've written, but that's the most concentrated place <laughs> where my work exists. Uh, and it's it's called The Sound of Fear. And if you just look it up, uh, look up Victor H. Rodriguez on Amazon, it'll pop up. And if you don't want to buy the book, you can just listen to me perform the stories on my limited series podcast, Inside The Sound of Fear, which is still available anywhere fine podcasts are available. So check it out yeah and you can find me over on screaming through the ages where you can also find nathan and soon to be hopefully victor as well we've talked about um but yeah for october i'll be having a couple bonus episodes and then the theme that i'm focusing on this year is folk horror um and i think i'm going to be taking a little different look at folk horror at least in the first episode i'm putting out a um, little bit different to go through than Giallo's, which existed mainly for a period of five years. But um, that's what I'll be covering in October. You can check that out over there. But yeah, uh, thanks, guys, for jumping on this and going through this fall preview. I think this was your idea, Nathan. And I I do like the idea of doing these and we could just go through what we're excited for. And honestly, it just helps me get a list together of what I need to watch and want to watch. But Absolutely. Yeah. There, and there are some gems that I can't wait to see uh, from yep. now till the end of the year. So yeah, very cool. And that's going to wrap up tonight's episode. So thank you. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes of HMP, please go over to Apple podcasts and leave us a review. Five star reviews help us just spread the word on the show. The final thing I want to mention, and I'll put a link in the show notes is Regarding Victor Rodriguez, he got an opportunity to be interviewed by the Horror Writers of America. That interview is available over on his website. I've put the link specifically in the show notes under a heading related to the interview, so you can check out and find it there. Be sure again to check out his podcast, which is Inside the Sound of Fear. 
related to his anthology book of short stories, The Sound of Fear. Again, those links will be available in the show notes. And until next time, this is Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror movies.